Ah, welcome everybody to your Wednesday night, most funnest thing ever, which is vibrant. I am here beardless and fearless. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am the real chance. I just wanted a less itchy face and get some sunshine on that area of skin. So we've got tonight the intrepid host of Rogue Waves, energy healer, extraordinaire, incredible author, so many other awesome things and beings that you embody. Love you so much. Welcome <laughs> back to Vibrant, Lindsay. How are I you love doing? you too. It's so good to be here. It's so fun. I'm glad we're doing this um, for this momentous occasion and more. And then it just so happens to be a wild day as well. <laughs> it is such a wild day. Like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. I'll, uh, can I just say that I didn't realize that this many people didn't know what the don't know what the Georgia Guidestones even really are. Someone on one of my posts was like, "When did this happen?" And I was like, "Today." And they were like, "Oh, this world just sickens me." And I was like, "Wait, wait, no, no. This is not like a monument that we all came together to create and like honor something or something or doesn't mark like a historical moment for us. This is just the psychopaths talking about how they want to kill and enslave us. That's all. Like we should be glad it's gone." I think some people just don't know. And then it makes me forget. And now I'm remembering how many people are um, because COVID. I don't know if we're even allowed to say that word anymore because this whole cooties. thing. <laughs> cooties That's what I do. Cooties. Woken up so many people that they, they haven't reached back 40 years or 20 years or even five years or 10 years into the past. So, uh, so yeah, in case anyone doesn't know, it's a good thing that the Georgia Guidestones are gone. Yeah, I think that we should get into that. That might be a great topic of conversation to like synchromistically analyze some of the symbolism around it. I didn't go deep on it, but I saw, man, like every chat group I'm a part of on Telegram was just like on fire with uh, this demolition that happened. It's very interesting, too, because one of them got blown up and then there were two standing and then they knocked down the two towers. It's a uh, very symbolic that's interesting. You know what else? So it was the first thing I saw when I woke up. Um, and so I was posting around, but no one wakes up at 6am like I do or whatever. So I don't think anyone saw my posts and they were, you know, that's cool or whatever. But then, so my first thought and my first instinct in the few places I posted it at like 7am this morning, I said, I don't know, my first thought literally very loudly in my head was act of God. And I was like, maybe it was an act of God. And then the first thing I thought after that was that George Floyd mural which got struck by lightning. And I was like, God is fucking pissed. Like <laughs> using all this bullshit to cause all this strife and harm. Uh, but I was like, well, probably not. And then eventually that video came out. That was maybe at like 11 AM. There was the video was posted of the actual moment of destruction, allegedly. And if that's a real video, I was like, that's crazy fast. Like nothing exploded. There's nothing like there's nothing exploding in this video at all, but there is a bright flash. And then it's, demolish and I saw movement off to like the left of the screen coming into the right and I was like well maybe it's some really exotic weaponry right because this like flash comes in like I mean like lightning speed yeah if somebody has that clip and wants to forward it to the vibrant call-in line we can show it on screen it's in the rogue chat if anyone's in there too you can just post it over there share it from there but um if the, so then somebody posted someone who broke that down frame by frame which frame by frame is like what it's one third of a second i think each frame is or something i think it's 33 times per second actually so anyway so it's like one thirty third of a second is it one frame so from one frame to the next frame it was gone 
and all you see is a bright light and it has all the characteristics of lightning. So it could be like directed energy weapon, but directed energy weapon, we don't generally see that exact same color pattern and movement pattern. The directed energy weapon goes straight to its source, like done. This came from like over here and then bounced over all within like two frames of the video. So that video is real. It is actually an act of God. And this lightning fucking destroyed this goddamn hellish fucking monument. Hmm. Like, woo, go God. <laughs> well, the weirdest part might be beyond how that happened or whatever it was that happened. Act of God sounds great. <laughs> sounds uh, <laughs> the weird part is like, they were ready to come in and demolish the rest of it with an executive order and everything within hours of it happening. So those guys gives you fast, though. one of two indications, like either they were planning to do this today anyway, in some sense, or they were ready to go somehow, or they're like, Oh, uh, what just happened needs to be covered up ASAP ASAP. Cause someone was saying too, they're like, well, they're not going to want to go with act of God. So they're going to want to make it look like an explosion, but there was already so much video within people sent their fucking, uh, sorry, I forget if we can swear or not. We can, right? Yeah, fire away. <laughs> All right. <laughs> they're, they're drones in to get the footage and like, you couldn't hide it anymore. So even though they demolished it to hide any actual follow-up evidence, like we had already had everything we needed to show at the very least, there's no scorching or burning. This is not traditional explosives. So it has to be either lightning or directed energy weapon or something even more exotic than that, that I just don't know about or don't understand. Right. Okay. Um, someone yeah, this sent me is this. Here we go. It does happen really fast. Boom. Gone. You can see something to the left of it, like really briefly. Right. Which is why I thought something was flying into the left, but like someone broke down, lightning makes lights around it brighten and really? possibly explode. Oh, yeah, because they gain electricity too, because the whole field is electrified, not just the, you know, line well, that we see. You know, I wonder if that happens in a directed energy weapon as well. If it's I that kind of thing. I mean, I've never been around one, so I'm not sure, but. But the directed energy weapon, like I said, most likely at least wouldn't come from the left to the right. It would just right. hit its target. You and know, that's that, what made me lean towards lightning as well. Well, it hit that one, just the one pillar. And it makes me wonder what the significance of that particular pillar was. Like, which, which was yeah. the text on that one, you know? Yeah, it'd be interesting to know. Because it was, if it's a directed energy weapon, why wouldn't, if, if it was an, a traditional explosive, why wouldn't you just... Yeah, and like that comment that Chance just put up was saying there was a lightning storm exactly in that area, according to radars and, you know, weather stuff like so it's not in any way. I think it was a fucking act of God. I literally like saw it and loudly in my mind act of God, not like bragging or whatever, but I have some psychic skills. But I still, I doubt myself all the time. Any of you out there, you all know, we all know, like even our intuition and everything. We're like, nah, I don't know. I'm not sure. So I did that same thing. But after I saw this lightning breakdown, I was like, I really think that's it. I'm just going to trust myself on this one. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so interesting, too, that it's like right when Mars hits Taurus, Mars goes into Taurus. And the very next thing that happens is the Georgia Guidestones get taken down, which is like. Definitely <laughs> sort of feels warlike the way yeah. that it happened. And uh, they're all about 
guidelines for the earth. So it's almost like the earth was rejecting that when it was energized with that Mars and Taurus moment. And the other, not to take us off topic, but you know, this is definitely in line with our winning, <laughs> totally winning. And maybe Lindsay can give us more updates on to how and why we're oh, winning we against so the technocrats. Winning. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in the Netherlands, right, the farmers there are going wild with a way bigger trucker rally than we've seen elsewhere, including tractors, more more tractors than truckers. So as soon as Mars, as soon as Mars <laughs> goes into Taurus, we get battle tractors. That's so rad. That it did could not see? be more Mars and Taurus than that. And did you see them like towing the? They're literally towing police cars out of the vicinities of the protests. So the tractors will go up and grab the police cars and just take them away. Like, no, you don't get to be here. And better than even that, I think, just like January 6th, when they when they had agent provocateurs show up, enough people now are understanding that this is a this is the pattern. If you have any kind of a successful demonstration, they do two things. One, they infiltrate with agent provocateurs, try to make it go super violent and south so that they can have an excuse to rush in and shut you down. And if they can't do that, they try to take out or become your leadership of each of your organizations that are running the protests. So enough people know this now that we saw in both times, both uprisings, that people were like, look, this guy's a fed. Like, get this guy out of here, and then people will just get them out of there. And I'm like, this is all we've ever had to do is that. Like, they can't actually stop us. We just have to know their tactics. And they only have one bag of tricks, and they've been using that bag of tricks forever. <laughs> so we know them. They're clear. Yeah, the super scary Crapital Riot January 6th was probably, you know, as messed up as it was, one of the best things that could happen to the, the normies that drink the Coke Kool-Aid. Because they get to see like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> this is way, they got some serious validation of their whole like Q cult. Uh, not that I'm a Kool-Aid, Q Kool-Aid drinker myself, but like, dang. Um, I, I agree that like more and more people, when you order your farmers to destroy their crops and kill their livestock, th- there's obviously something going on with an attempt to take over the all means of production of food and stuff, which is like, you know, that would be game over for us if we gave that up. And what I love is there's such a huge movement in the other direction to start our own gardens and get back to doing what ancestors always did. So huge. I can't say how many people I've talked to who are like, yeah, I'm doing my first ever garden. I'm like, this is so amazing. And that's why they tried to shut that down in the whole shenanigans too. They're like, oh, you can't go anywhere. You can go to the store, but you can't buy seeds there. You're like... Yeah, the seeds are going to make me sick, you freaky weirdos, psychopaths. Um, But on the topic of how we're winning, (laughs) also, the EU has said, I think today, maybe yesterday, that we are, that they are now considering uh, nuclear as a renewable or at least a green friendly energy source. So as far as this whole worldwide energy shutdown is going, this is what we said at the very beginning when Germany shut down like four, (laughs) four nuclear power plants and they were like, all right, we're going to go green, but we don't actually have the green infrastructure. And even if we did, it would be powered by coal plants, but let's not talk about that. Let's just shut down the nuclear plants and have no energy at all. We're like, okay, so you're just going to kill everyone. I mean, like, that's what that's going to do. It's going to starve people. It's going to freeze them out of their homes and all of this. And and now we're seeing some of the repercussions of this uh, all over the world, just, just by shutting down access to fuel and energy all over the world. And now the EU is like, actually, 
I think we're going to keep the nuclear energy because it actually is sustainable and, and pretty green, which I'm like, this is a huge win no matter whether you think nuclear is cool or not. At the, in the short run, like we're all going to die if we don't have energy, So, which maybe you think should happen and that's cool too. But if you don't think that we should all die, like the Georgia Guidestone said and like the Great Reset wants and like they've been saying that they want for all of us Agenda 2030 and all of that for how many years now, if you don't agree with them, it's a good thing that they did this. So this is in the EU today. One more thing I'll throw on top of this pile of how good we're winning there was like 30 resignations today all around the world and high level cabinet members and government members. Of, and I don't know, maybe that's actually bad. Maybe they were like the good ones and they somehow resigned. But I have a feeling that there's something else going on. That there's like a reason, like they're scared or there was something that they had like coming to confront them, you know, that they saw coming down the pipeline and they're like, I'm just going to casually actually get out of the way now. <laughs> so um, maybe that's really good too. Mm. Wow. I did not know that. That's awesome. It is awesome. Such I'm good excited. News. It's a good day. Yeah. Well, I think with the nuclear energy thing, there's something going on with that, that they don't want us to comprehend. And for one, like uh, I'm not at all convinced that nuclear energy is like toxic and that radiation works as described at all, <laughs> or that it has anything to do with some kind of magical atom splitting world ending device. I mean, when you look into like all of the so-called nuclear bomb tests that have happened in the world since this technology was said to have been developed, you, it would be, we would already be done. <laughs> it would already be game over if it was just, if the fallout was like what they say it is. So yeah. um, I, I, I'm cool with the idea that there are elements and they've probably been hidden from humanity or restricted and, and misdescribed as a way to keep us from some sort of uh, alchemy understanding that these elements are necessary for. But I'm totally cool with the idea that there are elements that radiate energy that we can use as like free energy devices. And that sounds great. But like in terms of that, that's going to somehow poison you and poison the environment. That seems like it only happens in the movies. Yeah. I'm totally with you. That whole rabbit hole is so fun. I was like, it was like the earth is flat and all these other ones. I was like, this is ridiculous. Nukes are real. Like, well, how would they not be real? And then I went looking and I was like, oh my God, I'm not sure if nukes are real. <laughs> well, when you think about it, like why would Source ever give its creation the ability to end the creation? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's so stupid. That's it just makes point. no logical sense. Speaking of source and what source wants, I really feel like the Earth's consciousness is waking up more and more. I'm getting messages from the Earth more and more uh, at a higher and higher like level, if you want to say that, or clarity maybe is a better word. And uh, I think the Earth genuinely deeply loves us and that we're extensions of it, like it's little babies. And I think when the Earth's like, wait, 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 what's going on with my babies here? Like, so there's just a few of you who are psychopaths and you're trying to take out the rest of my babies. Like, mm -mm, that's not going to work actually for me, um, <laughs> which is another way that I think we're winning. And another way that I think we're winning. So CERN is fired up again, right? And everybody's concerned about CERN. And uh, someone, you know, is asking me, like, do you are you worried about like, you know, dimensional splits and rifts and stuff? And I'm like, no, not really, because I have jumped dimensions seemingly multiple times. And that's just without even trying to. So imagine what we could do if all of us were like, okay, 
you're going to open some dimensional rifts. We're going to manifest what comes through that dimensional rift. We're going to just jump into the world where we win and you lose because there's more of us and more intention here. And it's powered by love and not hate. So uh, we win. The end. <laughs> Someone in the rogue chat today was like, you know, I was talking to my 10 year old uh, person that I talked to or whatever, and they were saying, you know, that CERN's firing up and I was asking them if they're worried about it. And they were saying no, because, it, you know, if they're going to manifest something from this like energy they're smashing, I'm just going to manifest what I want, you know, even better or whatever. And I was like, dude, a 10 year old can get it. I think we can all get it. <laughs> like, let's just do this. No matter what you actually believe is happening, just pretend for a second that CERN is actually just whatever is maybe opening portals and dimensions and that you can invite through what you want. Well, like, what would you invite through then? Or what dimension would you shift into? And just focus on that instead of being scared or worried about it. Like, who cares? I can't stop CERN, whatever it's doing. So I may as well at least imagine my way through it and possibly create the best future of all. Well, that's what you ought to be doing, whether or not CERN was a thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <I feel> like, <laughs> hey, check it out, Johnny. He's hugged all three of these people. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> this great art behind us here is Johnny art that I remixed into a picture for this. Johnny, you're welcome to join us, bro. But I want to share something. You were talking about how the earth loves us and, you know, actually wants us here. It sees us as our children. Check out this hilarious article I saw from The Sun today. Urgent warning to gardeners as soil increases risk of killer heart disease. Yes. (laughs) Touching that dirty, evil soil with all those germs in it will give you heart disease. It has nothing to do with the cowpoke that you took causing myocarditis. You're like, you know, it's that uh, global warming and climate change that makes the soil murderous. So be careful. You better not grow your own food. You might have a heart attack. Isn't it's that like the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life? I seriously, <laughs> like I they're showing us this picture, like this woman is about to die. <laughs> Look at her dangerous action. Stupid hippie. It says the results of the analysis pushed experts to recommend that people wear a face mask if they are in close contact. Oh, oh my oh god. god. It's so funny. I posted this same oh. article with the caption, like it turns out anything will kill you with heart disease except for the cowpoke. Literally everything else gonna kill you. That totally safe. <laughs> It's too funny. Like, they're like bacon, stress eating, like the sun. They're saying the sun, Um, you know. Oh, yeah. It's going to kill you. Yeah. They're saying the sun, whatever the EMF bursts and stuff, that's going to kill you. <laughs> that's going to give you a heart attack. Um, This gardening BS, like it's fucking crazy. And people, are, I like just want to know how many people believe that. How many people read that and were like, well, we got to wear a mask. We're just not gardening at all. Yeah. Cody says that's what inversion looks like to a T. I remember the day that I realized that the controller, the wannabe controllers, the powers that were, are playing opposite day. And that was really great when I realized that. Oh, okay. Everything you say is the opposite. Got it. Literally. Now I have a really great navigation system. Like, I I learned this game. I can play this game. (laughs) So, uh, this, you have recently talked to... um, uh, what is his name? Brown's gas fella. George Weissman. George Weissman. And I'll talk to you your second chat with him, right? Because, and it's or all you turn because into of a robot. chance. Hold on a second. Internet, dude. Every time I talk to Lindsay, like things go wonky. <laughs> I take no responsibility for this, but I, but I understand completely. 
It's not you particularly. It's right. just <laughs> you. It's just me. It's just you and me. Um, so yeah, both of you, because you're doing the the uh, cymatic healing, the the solfeggio stuff, and you're doing both the that and the um, Brown's gas stuff, right? Now, do you have the Aquacure thing itself? Yes. Okay, which machine do you have? I don't know. You don't the know? Aquacure okay. one. <laughs> okay. I didn't know there's like model numbers or something. I'm not sure. The well, Aquacure I think there's 3000. Generations, I think. I feel like Chance would know more than me, actually. What? <laughs> Which I don't know, right? Don't you know like the actual models or what they do? Yeah, so isn't this what happened? I was like, George, you should talk to Lindsay. She's yes. the best. And then he came on and then he sent you one, right? But he sent me one before he came on. Yeah, like wow. as soon as I said like, yeah, you can come. I would love to have you. Like, let's set it up. I, he he was like, may I send you a device? I'm not going to lie. I had no idea what he was talking about. I was just like, yeah, you can send me whatever you want to send me. And then I like, and I was really, really sick with the, you know, whatever we're calling the thing uh, that they seem to turn on every once in a while. Um, so. I was not well. And this huge box arrived at my house and I was like, what is this? And I like cut it open. And I realized, Oh, well, yeah, I was like, this is from that guy. And I was like, what did he send me? And I'm like unboxing it. I'm like, this is like a science experiment. Like, I don't even know what's going on right now. So I went to the website and I was like, Oh my God, like he sent me this. And I was like, am I supposed to send this back? Like I was so confused and so sick, but I managed to set it up somehow, despite the, how really really sick i was and i started using it and i credit that with a very swift recovery actually i would love to try that thing out man so you have to but but i'm not having any specific health challenges currently Uh, it's definitely on my list of things to manifest though yeah i spent several months after i met george and we should talk about what the aquacure is for people that didn't catch my talks with him or your talks or his appearances elsewhere but uh I spent a couple solid months after I met George just trying to get my mom and dad to uh, to get one because they could easily afford it and it would be so helpful for them. They're fairly nutritionally deficient. And I say that like, you know, they're the average American diet types. Yeah. Um, and actually, when I was trying to get them to get one, my dad had had cooties super bad, refused to do anything other than like drink chocolate milk and lay in bed okay. and ended up with developing pneumonia and had to go to the hospital because he was so incoherent. We couldn't even get him to drink water. And uh, so he was on oxygen at home after he spent 12, 13 days there for a while. And I was like, you're already breathing through a breather thing. Please get this thing. It does what you're getting out of the oxygen plus better, more super good. And they're just like, (laughs) I don't understand. I'm not going to do that. Ah, that resistance. They're like, well, someone in a lab coat didn't tell me to. So what happened was I showed my mom and she watched 20 minutes of it and then had to stop. And then she was telling her business partner about George's uh, fuel saving inventions, because that was the only part of the interview she saw was him talking about fuel saver inventions. And uh, the business partner in question was like, oh, anyone that has ever talked about that is guaranteed a scammer. 100 percent. Whatever else he's got, definitely a scam. And so she was like turned off to the whole thing. Oh uh, man. You know, like it's, mm. it's used worldwide in all sorts of hospital settings and care settings and way more so in Asia than here. There's all sorts of studies about hydrogen therapy. Like it's just sad. Yeah. So it's a thing that adds hydrogen to bubbles it into water and into gas and it's electrified to put it simply. 
It has the gives your body charge that is beneficial and the ultimate number one champion of the periodic table, hydrogen, the base nutrient building block of your entire body and existence, existence itself, not just your physical existence. And I don't know how that could sound anything but awesome. Yeah. <laughs> said, what did he, what does he say? It's like you're 67% hydrogen. I'm like, dude, why, why don't we, and know that like we all know like oh i'm two-thirds water or something and all this stuff but like you're 67 percent hydrogen and then he was talking this most recent show he was on about um how in your colon is where you would normally be getting the hydrogen so you're the, the last sort of section of your colon you would be getting hydrogen from whatever sort of left it would be like okay well here's what we're going to get rid of it for sure anyway i've already got everything else out of it so let's rate it for all the hydrogen and like pump that out into the body. But most of us are so screwed <laughs> like a lifetime of toxins accumulating, yeah. accumulating, accumulating that our body's doing so much work just to mitigate the toxins that it doesn't have the effort to be able to mm -hmm. take the hydrogen at all. It's just trying to get things out of you because you're so toxic. And even those of us who feel like we're really not toxic, you are sprayed with crap every day. All your food is sprayed with crap. Even organic food for the most part is sprayed with crap and full of toxins and chemicals, either from what's rained down on them or because they don't have to actually follow any rules if they submit the right paperwork. And they're like, oh, we're just having a really hard time this year, so we can't do it organic, but we still need to label it organic to make money. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. So, like, all this stuff we eat isn't organic anyway. Unless you're getting it locally or growing it yourself, like, you have no idea. Right? Your water, if you're not purifying the crap out of it, restructuring it, and doing all this stuff, like, you're poisoning mm -hmm. yourself. Um, I'm not trying to freak anyone out, but, like, a lot of us are way, way less healthy than we might think. It's crazy because think about all that. You just laid down yet how capable we still are. And imagine if we were operating above like 5% capacity, <laughs> even like 1% more, uh, we are like super beings and it takes all of that onslaught of toxicity and bad vibes of all types to lower the human state of consciousness to a level that it can be put into a fear state. That's the only reason why we're even in any kind of a fear state is because we have these dissonant vibrations and toxins within and without us. And it's not, uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that the new age that we're heading into is one where we take full responsibility for all that, pull the plug on the outsourcing of things to anyone other than those that we know and trust and rise and we rise far and fast and it's going to be amazing. It's already happening. Yeah, it is already happening. And so I was just talking with someone about this today. I was like that exact thing. Like think about if we had our Antiquitech still intact Right. And that was just like pumping like free electricity and maybe like Brown's gas or whatever. who knows what kind of good stuff all over. We could go into a cathedral and sit and just receive like healing realignment energies anytime we wanted or something. And everything was organic by nature. And we weren't cost constantly poisoned with EMF and all the stuff we just said. Uh, how much, you know, how much clarity we would all have and how much of our spiritual skills and gifts would start to come out more. The reason this conversation came up earlier is because I was telling this person, you know, I see auras and they're like, whoa, what? Like, have you always seen auras? And I was like, well, no, actually, it started really suddenly one day. And they were like, well, what was like the trigger? And I was like, I stopped doing massive amounts of drugs. 
like I was like 15 or something and I went to treatment and I dried out for like three days. And when I got through the three days, I looked around and I was like, holy fuck, everyone is glowing and it doesn't stop and it changes and the colors are all shifty and what the, and I was like, I'm fucking crazy. Like I went insane from doing too many drugs <laughs> and I was like freaked out. So I was like, I'm not going to tell these psycho are though they have the worst counsel counselors and whatever they're like i'm not going to talk to them about this but i was like i'll write to my sister about it. i was like look i'm broken like i'm people are glowing and i don't know what the hell is going on but i'm clearly never coming back to reality so like you should just say goodbye to me now she wrote a letter back because you're not allowed to call when you're in treatment or whatever she wrote a letter back a couple days later. I was like, she's like, oh, it sounds like this thing I heard about called auras. Like, it's like people's like spiritual energy or something. And I was like, what? And then I started like looking at them and I was like, oh, it actually does correspond exactly. Like the colors correspond exactly with their moods and even their thoughts, perhaps. <laughs> and it does shift in accordance with that. And that is wild. And I was like, weird. I guess this is like a real thing that people have. And then I started being able to like understand what they meant and learn them. So that's just from detoxing for a few days from a bunch of drugs. Like, so, and that came back to me or whatever. So imagine if you're healing your body using Brown's gas, using solfeggio frequencies or tuning forks or whatever, using people who are healing people like chance and myself and i would say gordon too even if he doesn't know it and whatever gordy's right? done one for me it was amazing oh rad well cool see so and it was all the of Gordy this way i don't know what to call it other than just made it happen it was just like sheer force of will and intention and some talking and some breathing and uh shifting it was amazing gordy's yeah. powerful good job yeah so we all have these gifts and the more you're healing yourself in every possible way mind, body, soul, especially our bodies right now, I think for most of us, then the more they're just going to open up naturally. It just is what we are. Well, this is yeah. something I'll kick over to you, Gordy, but uh, I developed the ability to sense and feel energy and to some degree see auras whenever I really pay attention and try to from Qigong practice. Yeah. And <laughs> I think Gordy right? can relate to that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but I've come to recently understand more clearly that the regular practice of Qigong is actually waking up the plasma in your body. Yeah. I mean, the water that's in your body is actually in a state that's more akin to plasma than, than what, than like the liquid state of matter, interestingly enough. So I'd been kind of lax on my Qigong for quite a while. And I think it was because I wasn't noticing the, as much of an effect from it or something. I don't know, but I'd been pretty like irregular, maybe a few times a month rather than on the daily. And the other last week I got into the book from the teacher that I learned from, I learned from him. And then I got his book as like a reference guide. And uh, I was looking through the movements and I realized, Oh man, I've been doing several things incorrectly here yeah. <laughs> for a while. <laughs> so I gave myself a chance to have a full session with the, with the correct movements and correct breathing rhythms. And I was listening to some beautiful 432 Hertz music from Alex Michael, the conspiracy music guru, his album that he calls true Solfeggio. But anyway, to continue on to that story, like I talked about that with Alex, if people heard that episode, but since then I've had about eight days consecutive of uh, doing my daily practice again and doing it correctly. And the first tuning that I did for a client after having come back to my practice and being regular with it, 
it was crazy because instead of like needing to really listen for the subtle changes in the tone of the fork and like, you know, hope I got it right. Hope I found, hope this is really what I think it is in this spot or whatever. I started getting the more direct communication from my body in like a dramatic fashion. So it almost came to the point where I didn't even need to listen to the fork so much anymore. <laughs> I just, the fork was just like the instrument. And uh, whenever I would hit pockets of, of what you would call like static or blockage, I would get these pops and crackles in my ear and I'd feel these pressure changes in my eardrums as if like I was going up and down in elevation and stuff. And uh, some other body stuff would happen too that would give me clues. But that was the most amazing part. I was like, this is exactly the same thing that I feel in my eardrums whenever I clear something in myself when I'm doing a Qigong posture. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to do, if I'm going to be the best I can be at this practice for others. Uh, and you know, no, no, like loss of love for myself from before when I wasn't regular with my practice, it's just like time to, you always keep leveling up, keep going yeah. further. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, this is going to really help me be the best I can be for everybody else as well. And it's amazing because you don't want to like put your, your personal responsibility on, like I'm doing it for them. But it is true that the more that you help yourself, the more that you help others innately. So anyway, Gordy, I'm sure you have thoughts about the the Qigong waking up your plasma and the energetic sensitivity. Yeah, man. The the And it really has a lot to do with you, Lindsay, because uh, when a couple of years ago, you started talking about the, you tar- started talking to Mitch about the orgone and um, the, what do they call it? The earth pipes? I don't think that was that long ago because Chance also introduced me to him. <laughs> oh, you did. Okay. So this yeah. is how we, this is why we're here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't think that was me, but thank you. <laughs> well, I got, I got some of that orgone from Mitch and my, because my owls were gone. They had left when they turned mm-hmm. on the, that 5G tower. I put some of those orgone uh, earth pipes in between them and the, and that tower. And they came back. Um, and my big question to Mitch at the time was how much of that is, you know, the orgone itself and the intention, but it's all that. Like you've, you've been talking about that for a long time, that it's all that. And once you kind of start to understand that and you, you actually do the, um, the actual energy movements with, you know, with that intention, that full bodied intention, you start to feel it in your extremities. You know, you start to feel the power and you start to feel that your energy field. You start, it's there. Like you, you know, it's happening because it's happening in you. When you do that, you're in, you're in that flow. You I'm pretty sure you can heal yourself of most things. Oh, yeah. It's not just that you're waking up and enlivening the energy and clearing out the meridian channels with that, but you're also training your awareness. It is. I'm at the point where I would almost tell somebody if you had to pick between one or the other, pick Qigong over meditation because you're meditating while you do it if you're doing it correctly. Right. I mean, it's not the same as like transcendental meditation and getting into the astral and all that. But in terms of what is most priority for your health and life, maybe that. I don't know. 
Yeah, well, really anything that will help you do exactly what you guys have just been talking about, which is to be more in touch with the, you know, what I what you call it, the spiritual energy of your body, or a, I like how you're calling it the plasma of your body, right? Or the ether or the uh, orgone energy or the prana or the chi or whatever, like you have it. It's there. You <laughs> it's are happening. It. You are it. You are it. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're a cymatic expression of it. And so the more, whatever it is that helps you really know and feel that, do that, but do that. And like, um, I'm a big fan of saying that magic has three parts to it. And uh, one is to conceive of it, imagine it or think it, however you just want to describe that. And the other is to speak it and to cymatically create it. And the third is to act in accordance with that. And that is magic. And that means your whole life you've been doing magic. I piss a lot of people off um, mm-hmm. because I think I think I take like the mystification away from some of the things they want to pretend are like really, really mystical and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's every everybody everywhere all the time for all of history has always had that. Like, It's actually not special. It's the least special thing about it us and being here because it is so universal uh, but it is very special actually and especially because we're so detached from it now it is extra important that we find whatever the ways are for us to reconnect to it i was also talking to someone today about um you know trees and plants and animals and all, they all have the same exact energy the same exact feel anything does a rock does my computer does like everything does but it's really easy for most people to feel it from a tree Right. And we were talking about how the um, tree hugger thing, you know, how that's been like a put down. Like it's been like it's like the CIA like made Mm -hmm. it like to like diss people. But it's like, no, you can actually go up to a tree and you can hug it or not. You could also just sit next to it. You sit in it or on it or near it or hug it. Do whatever you want. And you can feel its energy, too. And if you you have to maybe get a little quiet and then you can feel it. And then when you feel that, if you still haven't felt your own, you can start to feel your own because it's different from that. But it's the same. And like there's so many ways you can just go connect more deeply and be more present in this eternal flow (laughs) of etheric energy that we all are. Yeah. I love to go hit up a tree, not actually hit it, but you know, put my hand on it, (laughs) sit under it, something like that. But even if it's just for a moment, I tried to do that on every walk is uh, stop at one of my friends that is also happening to be a tree right now (laughs) (laughs) and be like, Hey, I I feel great. But if there's anything that I need to like clear and release, can you help me with that? And I just Mm -hmm. put my hand on it and I'm like, Oh, and I feel a huge grateful Mm -hmm. feeling just well up within me and it's magical. But the other day I was checking out, uh, I'm like really obsessed with ancient Egypt lately. And this is part of me (laughs) trying to segue into talking about your book now that we got our, our our main people here watching and we've warmed up enough um get into the thing that we wanted to discuss and promote a little bit here but i was checking out the temple of medinet habu and there are these carvings all over it uh that the egyptologists <laughs> that word might as well mean comedian <laughs> uh, the uh, the comedic writers they call themselves egyptologists claim that these carvings represent dancers they're dancers. Yeah, you see how they're dancing? <laughs> that but, is funny. You're right. <laughs> you know, there's like all these carvings. I had a couple images of them where you can clearly, if you know what you're looking at, see that these are basically Qigong moves being yeah. described. You know? That's a really good point. Oh, wow. It really is. Like this one looks like 
you know, if you were just watching one person go from movement, like point to point in a series of movements or like Tai Chi or something, that's what this looks like to me. It doesn't look like multiple figures. It looks like it's supposed to be an, almost like an animation of one figure. That's sort of my inference on it. But yeah, they're totally, <laughs> they bend their elbows in some amazing ways. I wonder if we just like uh, lost the ability to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. That is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. You know, um, I I went down this track after I kind of started rediscovering the Qigong thing. Um, I went down this track of kind of like trying to get in touch with kind of other shamanic uh, cultures and stuff like the Polynesians and how their dances like the Hakka or or um, the Hula were those are shamanic dances. They're not they're not for tourists, you know, these are based in real things. And, um, I found that a lot of those movements kind of have the same, that it's not, they're very different feeling in energy field, but it's, um, kind of a really interesting, um, change to, to feel that how different they are and what kind of connections to source that you feel, uh, spiritual connections that you feel when you're doing those kind of meditation, uh, energy movement meditations. Um, I think it's, it's another way of connection. Yeah. Or oh, it's so powerful. Very I, powerful. Perhaps if, uh, I know I've at least told it pretty recently on tinfoil hat. I know I've told it on middle path before too, but I talk about a dance that was given to me by an Eagle spirit guide in dreams three different dreams over, I don't know, a year or two, two, I don't even know, a while, <laughs> very distant in time from one another. But each time it was very clear, the eagle would come and be like, yo, like, stop what you're doing, like, step out of dream, Lindsay. I'm like, oh, okay, we're like doing something now. And he'd like, teach me some moves. And then I would like, do them back to him until he was satisfied. And then he'd be like, hey, bye. And he'd leave. I'm like, that's really weird. Like an eagle came to me in my dream and taught me like a dance move. Um, <laughs> and that happened three times. And I was like, well, clearly these all go together. So I need to start like getting my shit together, like keeping track of like what these moves are and what order they came in in case there's, what if there's like 65 of them? Like I'm not a dancer and I don't have a memory, but like I need to, whatever. Yeah, so Spirit these- probably was like waiting for you to record it in some way and empty your cup before they fill your cup again. Well, I, well, what ha- ended up happening was I was in suddenly a very intensely dark situation, not of my own creation, um, in which a I'll call it a demonic energy was coming through a human for the first time in my life, like directly speaking to me. And that dance ended up being what oh. broke the spell, we'll say. Um, so the power of movement and, and what's, I think even weirder, but I never got to in the tinfoil hat episode. And I don't know if I shared it. I think I did share it on middle path, but is that, I don't know, six, seven years actually. Cause so, so I told this story on tinfoil hat and then it's connected with this powwow. I went to the powwow. I went to the guy at the MC was like telling me out of the entire crowd that I was going to be facing the biggest battle of my life and that it would be very Mm -hmm. dark, but that I had to remember that all the tribes of the world were standing behind me and that I'm never alone. And I was like, 
I mean, this sounds like a lot of pressure. And also, as always, <laughs> am I actually crazy? I don't know. <laughs> and then this happened. And then, then did the dance. And I remember the guy saying that and it was all very helpful. So things happened ahead of time in many ways to make me prepared for this moment to be able to carry this out. Um, thank God. But then seven years later, uh, I'm telling this story on tinfoil hat. And uh, that next day after we record it, that memory pops up on Facebook of that powwow, which I posted before the bad stuff happened. I was like, oh, we just went to this cool powwow. Here's some pictures or whatever. Wow. And I like that memory popped up. So I was like, literally seven years ago to the day I was at that powwow that I was just telling this story about. So uh, six years later then I guess, because it was last year, uh, Johnny and I decided to go to a powwow here uh, where I've, you know, I've only been here a few years. I don't know anything about the powwows here, how they go, but I found out there was one and I was like, sweet, let's go to this powwow. So we went to this powwow and there was a guest tribe visiting from South America. And in South America, um, or whatever, they were doing their dance that I had never, I'd only been to powwows for the Pacific Northwest uh, natives. And now I was here. So I was kind of expecting like, the natives here and their powwow style or whatever. Uh, but they were doing this South American dance and they did the exact same dance in an eagle costume. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I've, I've felt the, the same way about the hula. Like, I'm over I, here like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm not even surprised. I know that was like supposed to be the mind blow, like mind shattering. Whoa. But I'm over here just like, yeah, You're totally. Like, yeah, that's that's how it life. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> that is my life. Well, and I'm like, and then I also know I had a past life like as that tribe or whatever so i'm like maybe it's not even weird at all they were just like yeah we know in the future you're gonna have this thing here's some here's some dance for you uh anyways dance is very powerful no matter what culture i think they're all channeling this beautiful energy through in various ways that we can call whatever we want to call that energy but it's the same thing i love it i love it (laughs) (laughs) getting the information from the uh the astro like that is so Cool. Uh, there's a guest I want to have on soon that I'm talking to, and I think it's going to work out who has similar experiences to share about like learning these postures of power and uh, Qigong style movements mm-hmm. from basically like Thoth came to him in his dreams and Rad. was like, okay, here's how it all works. And <laughs> so pretty amazing. But let's take a little pivot here. We have a great audience now, and I would love to talk about your book and announce the super exciting news. So everybody, Lindsay's an author and she's written many different books in particular two in a fiction series called sign curve of aeons. And there's a, her all endings as beginnings book. Yeah. I should grab the actual physical copy of sign curve of aeons off my shelf. Oh, she's probably got it. One here. There we go. So you wrote this book quite a while ago, but (laughs) uh, we decided to collaborate on creating an audiobook experience out of this beefy narrative. (laughs) It's huge. (laughs) Yeah. So we were hoping it would be ready on Amazon or Audible by this point because we submitted it a while ago. It should be any day now approved for y'all to purchase and we'll make sure to announce that everywhere. But you know, we want to talk about what inspired the story, maybe give a little bit of uh, interesting elements. I, I have the five minute sample queued up that we could play from the middle of the story just so people can kind of get a feel for it. And 
you know, I had a lot of fun putting it together. It was a great project for me. I appreciate getting the opportunity to do it and love making audiobooks and plan to do more. So to talk about it a little bit, Lindsay, can you introduce this story, Sine Curve of Aeons, to us? And there's a lot of things just in that title that might be interesting to talk about after we get a, get through this sort of promotional part. Yeah, I was actually learning. And by the way, Chance, you do an amazing job on audiobooks. It's so good. I'm so happy. I was even like, I, maybe you can like put in some like solfeggio or like something whenever you like feel like that'd be cool. And you even did that and more. And I'm just so impressed by your work. So high quality work. If anyone uh, wants to maybe hire Chance or whatever, however that works, um, then he's a great choice. But also the book is going to be amazing to listen to for that reason. Uh, but I was studying uh, calculus because <laughs> randomly at um, the time, right as right before I started writing this book. And I was doing that because I was tutoring a girl through calculus. And so I needed to know calculus in order to help her get through calculus. So I was revisiting like sine and cosine and all of this. And I was graphing all of this stuff. And it was like actually really fun for me. I really like math. And it's it's like you know, it's frustrating. It made me cry to learn it, but it was also like really, it's really beautiful. And I was just like really into the sine wave, the cosine wave and whatever. And just how like, they're just beautiful. And all the math around them is beautiful. And the things that I would like realize while doing the math was beautiful. And I was just, you know, the world is math. The universe is math. It's amazing. I saw like a sparrow fly by my window and they did the sine curve as they flew. And I was like, what are the chances? And then like you were saying, it's actually not that mind blowing. That's basically like how it should be. <laughs> of course, the birds would express this as well. So I was really into that like idea of sine curves and stuff. I also was and always have been really into the yugas and this cycle of time that humanity goes through. And while one way of looking at it is the circle where we have the golden age taking up the vast majority at the sort of top of the circle. And then we have some like bronze or iron. I don't remember the other metals as we descend on either side into the dark age, which is actually really short, but because it sucks so bad, it feels really long. <laughs> so I was fascinated by all of that. And then I was even more fascinated about how you could actually look at it as a sine wave. Um, there's equal golden age as there are to the descending, the dark and the ascending again, back to the golden age. And yeah, the riff on this, that, like just oh. a little quick riff is the, the darker ages, you know, things are heavier. It's like more density. We've picked up more toxicity. Enlightenment is a process of removing what we're not. So in those times when we've picked up a lot of stuff that it needs to be cleared and removed, there's a heaviness to it. And that's why it feels like we're wading through it, <laughs> like waiting for the, the light to come back. You know, if you have a lot yeah. of weight, you're going to wait that type of idea. If really? you want to get light, then you need to get light. Really well said. That is perfect. Well, and I had this whole thing, which I went through and maybe a lot of other people too have gone through where I'm like, why do we have to continuously go through this cycle? Like, what? Mm -hmm. why are we just bouncing back and forth between golden and dark and all of this? And this has been like a, a long theme of my life is exploring like that movement and why it would be so. And I was talking to the person I was with at the time. And I said, you know, it'd be so fun for me to read a book about this, like a fictional novel that took place in the golden age. So I could start to understand like, why, why would you ever leave that and descend into darkness? And I know it's like cosmic cycles and we don't have a choice or whatever, supposedly, but I just want to know, cause I don't buy that. I think that we have a role to play in it. And I don't think that it's just this circle. I think it's this sine wave and that that 
indicates progression, actually. Whether we go through golden ages and dark ages or not, something is shifting as we go. We are shifting as we go. So I was talking about that and the, and they just said, why don't you write that? And it like hit my brain, like a download. I, I think that it, this could be described as a download, like just went into my brain and I had three books in my head and I grabbed a piece of paper and I was like madly scribbling. And he was like, I didn't mean right now. And I was like, no, I have to like get the idea out before it goes away. Um, and then afterwards I had this problem because I don't write fiction and I never had, and I've always been an author and I've always been amazed by fiction writers and I've never written fiction at all. And the few times I've tried, it's just been like garbage, like just really contrite, like garbage. Uh, so I've stayed away from it because I don't understand. Like I never have understood like how people create all this in their minds and like map all this out, and, like have all this detail and all these characters and like how they know how every single thing's going to happen and then end. And it's also perfect. Like I could never do that. So I had that problem. I was <laughs> like, now I have three books, actually. I was just saying it'd be nice to read a book. Life was like, here's three. They're a trilogy. Like, now you have them. And I I had the understanding that when the muse comes to you and when inspiration strikes, like, you have a responsibility now. Like, it chose you. Mm. And so you have to actually, you don't have to do anything. But if you don't, you're kind of an asshole. And you've also wasted this beautiful opportunity because it's like a godlike energy that's like coming to you and giving you this gift. So I was like, well, I have to do it. I don't know how. And I was like, I guess I just have to at least try. So I just sat down and I just started writing. And as I did, uh, things would just fall into my mind. Like there, I would just see scenes and I would just, a character would come up and I would just see them and I would learn their name and I would start writing. And the more I look back at that and what was happening, it's exactly how I see things when I'm doing ceremonies for people or guidance sessions for people. It is, there is no difference. Like their like loved ones come up or their spirit guides come up or whatever, you know, and I'm seeing it and hearing it and understanding what it is and what it's all about. And it's exactly the same process. So I understood a little bit then, but I didn't really know that I was like channeling this through and that it was really coming from somewhere. Like I had that as like a metaphor for myself, but I didn't like really believe it took me a while into writing this book. I think I was nearly done with it. Actually, No, that's not true. Maybe I was pretty far into it, at least before I started understanding that really weird things were going on. And that I was writing about things that I had never known about consciously before in my life uh, that were actually real in reality. Um, there's some of it in the book that definitely I had like been versed in like our, like Graham Hancock, you know, ancient hidden history and this sort of thing was sort of my, one of my earliest super fringe topics that I got really deep into in like 1999 or whatever, <laughs> you know, but, um, but a bunch of other stuff in this I had never encountered in my life. And then I would write about it and then it would like appear in reality. And I'm like, how did this <laughs> happen? Like, how did I know these things that I couldn't have known. And the, and the one of them is what people are seeing actually behind us. Johnny's art is one depiction of one of those things that I could have had no way of knowing, but wrote about in perfect detail. Uh, so yeah, I, I could tell more. I don't know if I should pause and give you guys a moment to say something or what. No, I'll just say, I remember the point in the book where I realized that this was the same planet that I live on. <laughs> And yeah. what age it was. I was like, <laughs> oh, there's this like really cool moment where I realized where I was. And, you know, because as the story is in the beginning, you're not sure 
is this like another world, another reality, an alternate dimension, parallel universe? You know, you get some indications early on that there's some connection to Earth, but you don't know what it is. And I, I don't want to I want to be cautious not to spoil yeah. anything that you don't want to preview for them without them getting into the story. But, you know, to talk was, about it, there will be a little a bit of that. Preview. But it's, ex- <laughs> it's that was an exciting moment for me, for sure. It was an exciting moment for me. I kind of knew that part all along, but there was so much in the whole book that I'm like, I didn't know what was going to happen next at all. And I really mean that. I knew how it was going to end. And I knew like where I had started. And I knew like a few things that would have to happen in between then just as a logical thinking human. But I had no idea what was actually going to happen. And each time I sat down to write, it would just come to me and I would just start typing it as I was seeing it and hearing it and knowing it. Uh, And sometimes it'd make me angry. I don't know if you had any like disgust with any of the characters as you were going, but I did. I was like, why are you doing that? And people would be like, well, why don't you just write it different? I'm like, I can't. That's what happened. (laughs) I didn't make this up. This is what they're doing, these assholes. You know, or like the reverse. I'd be like so happy for them. I'd be like, yes, you're doing it. Like, well, (laughs) but it was just as new to me as it is for anyone reading it. So how how long did it take you to be comfortable with the the word channeling, like like describing it as channeling? Until right now, no, it's very, <laughs> yeah, it's very recent. Ago. Seriously, I think it was this yeah. past year where I finally was like, "Fine, fuck it, whatever." I'm psychic. I channel things. I talk to entities. I'm love and light. Like I just have to deal with it. <laughs> I just have to get over it. Boy, I that's really- one of the interesting parts of the story to me is the connection to specific spirits and those like there are characters in the story that are actually spirits they're not embodied physical beings or if they are physical they're physical in a different way and so that was what i was really curious about talking to tonight was and you already sort of touched on it with your dancing eagle magic dreams but Mm -hmm. i was wondering you know how much of you're, you're saying that this story was channeled and it just already existed but you know how much of what happens to the protagonist and maybe some of the other characters reflects your life, despite the fact that maybe that was unintentional because the story just was what it was. Yeah. Cause the story, as much as I think a lot of this actually happened in the past, I don't know that like, just like, so I had someone last night, I think Carrie Ann Brosky, she's really cool. And she was talking about how she wrote, you know, a story of her life, but she wrote it as fiction and she fictionalized it because it's easier to get people to understand the things that happened and like how it felt and how it was, as opposed to like actually saying like this happened first and then this, and it was like that. And it's the way things actually happen are a little bit stilted seeming or that whatever to get people to understand the actual feeling of it is a little bit different. And I feel like that's true about this story, the way it came through too, right? Like the bones of it, the structure of it and the themes of it are all truth. As far as I'm concerned of what actually took place in the past and uh the rest of it i think is a fictionalization of the main types of characters and energies that had to like happen for this to happen so there's actually a scene in here that is um a dream i had once you know but they and by they i mean whatever muse gave me this book uh brought me that scene as a scene and i was like i know this scene i've been there and it was like yeah 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 so write it like here we go. This is a scene. This is a scene that's going to happen now. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, cool. So there literally are things in the book that did happen to me. Um, 
And that's my understanding of why, why that's also in the book, even though, you know, it's not, if that all makes sense, then I'm glad because it only barely makes sense to me. But I'll tell you the scene and the scene is the purple crystal wall thing. If you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's a pretty climactic point. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's this amazing theme of the story that carries through the whole time of like the importance of following the path that you know is meant for you, that your soul screams at you that you must do and how you have no real understanding what ripples or importance you following that path may put out into the world. Even if that path leads you to do something that seems so random and incomprehensible or inconsequential to you that, you know, it's like, what was it all for? But it was for, it was for everything. (laughs) And you know, you just are in one limited little point of perspective and don't know how that ripples out and why the future needed you to be there right then to do that. And why everything that you, your soul screamed at you that you must do for your life path up to that point was the only way you were ever going to get there to do that right then. It's pretty cool. Wow. So well said. So to that point, you know, there's quotes, there's three sections to the book and each one has its a, you know, little part one, part two or whatever. And each of those has this quote on it. Right. And the quotes are um, almost all exactly the same, but they're completely different quotes from completely different types of people even, but they all say the same thing. And this those quotes came to me as I was writing the books. Like I'd be writing, writing, writing. I'd get to like the end of a section. I'd be like, well, we need a quote here. And then a quote would just like fall into my life. And I'd be like, holy crap, that quote is like perfect. Like that is the point of the whole book actually. And then I put it in there and that happened three times. And there's three sections that I'm just like, I mean, I really, I really feel like I didn't write this book because it just, those things kept happening. And all I did was give time and space and like understanding of typing and words (laughs) like I mean I want to honor myself for that but I just like I feel when people are like you wrote this book and even more so with the more recent books I've written I'm like no I didn't like I typed Mm. them out and formatted them and published them but like something else is doing all that I'm just a really good at following directions (laughs) (laughs) yeah that you make it sound easy but Honestly, the process of sitting down and following those directions for hundreds of pages is not as easy as you just made it sound. That is a Herculean (laughs) effort. You know, I once asked you, like, what's it like to write a book? And uh, I believe your answer was you have to be okay with just sitting there and doing writing like a lot, just a lot of it. If you don't like that, you probably shouldn't do it. (laughs) I was like driven too. like I would come home after work and I was a teacher for the whole time I was writing this, by the way. And most of this was written during the school year. And if you know anything about teaching, like you don't have free time or a life. Uh, But I was like driven. I would come home and I'd be like, hey, I got 20 minutes. I'm going to write some. And I'd write like as much as I could in 20 minutes. And that's how you have to do it. Yeah. Because if I didn't, I felt like it was going to stop coming to me like it was coming to me. I was like, this is like, I just have to keep going. And I would go into like trance and just be typing, typing, typing. And if I had more than 20 minutes, I would seriously stop. And it had been like two hours later. And I'd be like, wow, like I didn't even stop that whole time to like breathe or think. I was just like going, going, going. Um, And I told, you know, 
uh, Chance was like, wow, this is a really long book. I'm like, yeah, this is a really long book. And that's missing 500 pages. <laughs> so that's, like a, that's almost that's almost double what it ends up being. Yeah. If you add that. Yeah, the audiobook clocks in at 19 hours 14 minutes. Wow. Something like that. Long book. <laughs> wow. I think that's why for so long people were like, so what do you do? The audiobook? Like, I'm not gonna read that, <laughs> but I kind of want to know what it's about. So I'm like so excited that this is in existence now, thanks to you. Oh, this is great, you guys. Really this cool. is fantastic. And I want to key in on what Lindsay just said with the 15, 20 minute chunks. I've talked about this before, but you cannot underestimate the power of a daily practice, even if it is a small practice, because you are building momentum with each of those 20 minute sections. Mm -hmm. If you only had time in your daily life for 20 minutes of drawing or 20 minutes of typing or whatever the case may be, and you do that. Imagine how many more minutes of accumulated progress you will have versus someone who goes, oh, I've only got 20 minutes. I can't do it. We have this idea of like, I don't know, that we need to be right at the destination immediately, that we need instant gratification, that we shouldn't start a thing unless we can pull it off in one complete perfect chunk in some sense. And that is really not the way of the creative process and what you're describing it, the reason why it channeled so easily, I mean, one of the reasons other than that you're hella psychic and you're keyed into something from the muses is, is that by engaging with the practice regularly, the rest of the time that you're not doing it, it's just the same exact thing with like 15 minute meditations a day or 20 minute meditations a day or 30 minutes of Qigong a day. The rest of the day, you have still got that portal open. And so the difference between people who think they're creative and they who think they're not creative. One of the key differences is that the one with the daily practice, they've pried open that imagination portal. And so they're able to actually generate ideas of like an inspiration of what they want to do because they're asking themselves the question every day and actually sitting with it and, and trying to make a decision about it. Whereas if you never get into the daily practice, you, how are you ever going to get out of the state of, well, I don't know where to start or I don't know what to do. <laughs> the more that you do the daily practice, the more automatic the download and the channel will become because you're asking for it. You're programming your unconscious to be working on the Rubik's Cube of what do I want and how do I do it all the time. But if you're not setting yourself up with that unconscious programming through the daily practice, you'll stay exactly where you've been. And that's how almost every one of my giant mega super doodles that take me six to 12 months to complete was ever born was that I worked on it in 15, 20, 30 minute chunks when I could and ideally daily, but (laughs) you know, yeah. uh, Instant gratification is because of her trauma. That's a good one. Chaney. Ideally daily Chaney. Yeah. That's, um, Absolutely right. And you're, uh, I don't know when you're talking about like that each, each time you're doing this, it's building and it's making the flow even more strongly come through you. And each time you do it, that's going to grow and grow and grow. Uh, and it was making me think about how, I just think we all, some people are like, Oh, I don't know how to meditate or I'm not good at this. Like Mm. you're saying, and it, and it's like, well, just go do it. Like, just fucking do it. Remember at the beginning of the book, I was like, I don't know how to write fiction. I definitely don't know how to write fiction. And that came out of that. So yeah, nobody knows how to do anything, but you just do it anyway and see what happens. I'll Um, say you do know how to write fiction. I actually majored in creative writing, 
not something I do, oddly enough, but <laughs> I spent many hours in many classes workshopping people's writing who wanted to be novelists and fiction writers. And, uh, you know, not everybody had that. I won't say that it's like a natural gift. You work for it. You're, you know, you've put time in and effort in and you've been writing for a long time before you started doing the fiction. But yes. my point is with this is just to praise the writing. It is well done. You know, it far exceeds people who that I worked on workshop their stories <laughs> when I was in college Thank who you. were, you know, <laughs> training for that thing. So great stuff. And the most important thing is just that you made it and you did it. I did it. I when I was done, I was like, "This is the best day of my life." Like, <laughs> like I did that. Like, that's amazing. And then I edited it six times, and that's how five hundred pages got removed. Um, which is also a, its own whole process. People are like, "Oh, well, you have an editor for that?" I'm like, "Yeah, I didn't have like five thousand dollars to just chuck at a random editor and hope that they did a good job. Like, that wasn't my life. So I just did it myself. Which, whatever." may or may not be the best choice, but it worked out for me. No, it was um, good. I've read a lot of people's self-published stuff where, you know, I'm pretty sure they didn't ever hire an editor or edit it themselves. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, at the oh. very least, they didn't give it the five, six times that it, it needed to be looked at. That's why I'm like, I've read this book like 10 times because like, <laughs> I wrote it. There was one and then I edited it that many times and then I've read it since then trying to do my own audiobook version of it, which... I just am not good at. I am not good at audiobooks. I'm so glad that you are. It's so awesome for me. Thank you. It's fun for me. It's because uh, I wanted to read the book anyway. And that's kind of the big advantage of producing audiobooks is like I get to read a book that is cool <laughs> oh, and, and you're have fun with it. You're going to love Earth, A Trough in Time even more. Like Sign Curve is my baby. It's the first. I love it. It's so good. It's one of my favorite books, I'll just say, even if that's really like, <laughs> whatever, but, but Earth is much shorter and it's set in modern times. Um, and it just, it just moves more quickly uh, as a dark age would. It is very dark age esque. You know, though, I was looking on the, the book on Amazon, the second one, and it doesn't look like on a page count level, it's that much shorter, but maybe uh, there's maybe like, it's more. all in my head. <laughs> maybe it just feels shorter because there was less that you needed to remove. I don't know. Maybe or maybe. Yeah, I don't know, actually. And it's funny because I'm writing the third one now. Um, yeah. Yeah, which is amazing, actually. I like had this really vague. The third was the most vague in my mind. Like I really understood the first one. The second one, I had a pretty good understanding because I've lived most of it. And then the third one, I was like, I just kind of understand like this vague, really vague outline of it. And that's it. And now that I'm here writing the third one, I'm like, holy shit, this series is amazing. Like, wow, the way if it all I had comes to together guess, is insane. If I had to guess, the third one is going to be like basically showing us where we're going. Yeah. You know, and thus some of it will involve like how we get there, too. So I Absolutely. love it. I'm excited about that. So cool. I queued up. It's only about 40 seconds. I wanted to play at least a couple samples from the audiobook for fun, but you brought up the quotes that you inserted into the writing mm. and you put those in at like the act breaks, part one, part two, part three. So this is the uh, part one clip here. I'm going to play it. So if it's like way too loud or way too quiet, give me like a hand signal. I'll know what you mean. <laughs> Confront the dark parts of yourself 
and work to banish them with illumination and forgiveness. Your willingness to wrestle with your demons will cause your angels to sing. August Wilson And then it goes into the narrative of chapter one. I but I like that. to put the, uh, oops, it's right on repeat. Yeah, <laughs> I put some music in for those act breaks to like set the mood. Yeah. Royalty free, I promise. Cool. That's awesome. That sounds great, dude. Yeah, you did a great job. Well, do you guys want to play out the, uh, the, the sample that will be the five minute sample on Audible for people who are considering to buy it? Yes. Okay, because this is like, just five minutes right in the middle of the story somewhere. Uh, well, not just anywhere. I felt like this was a really appropriate place to sample. So, all right, we'll do this. We'll hang out. The stone walls flickered with the illumination cast from the fire. The dancing light played on the uneven striated stone walls that stretched up and curved around, surrounding the dark space. It was no normal flame, but those who were now gathering around the lustrous mahogany table in the center of the cavern were unconcerned with this feat that would have shook the bowels of most humans on Phytalus. These men were accustomed to it. The gathered sages understood much of reality that normal people could not understand. In fact, they knew the people had been intentionally prevented from understanding, and they despised that so much had been hidden. Deficits such as these within the perceptions of the masses were precisely what had led them all to this table, albeit indirectly. One, only recently led to their gathering, stood at the door, an observer. The schmarmy youth's arrogance paused at the solemnity and intrigue before him. Dressed in the dark robes of ritual as they had for countless years, the men stood around the table waiting for their leader. This gesture of deference had been adopted in decades prior, as it had become clear that their leader's mastery of skill superseded their own by chasms so wide, most could not perceive the other side. The master could have easily trumped every one of them, even had they joined in a circle of thirteen and merged their powers as one, so great was his skill. These thirteen of the inner circle prepared themselves, each in his own way, but all moving toward calmer minds, more clear vision, and meditative states. Soft sounds at the false flame that pretended to burn and the susurrant shushings of the robed men whispered about them in the chamber deep beneath the earthen frozen fields far above them. These cave systems, so lore stated, had been carved by the gouging talons of a legendary dragon, clawing the earth in a death throw as its age had ended and the human age had begun. No matter the genesis of the underground tunnels, they served the purpose of the group ideally, as though their presence here had been planned by the spirits long, long aeons ago. Most members believed as much, feeling their path to be preordained, and such was their devotion that the one spirit, darkly coiling about their work, had sometimes graced them with its interaction, such that it had confirmed as much. After pregnant moments of silence and stoicism, the master finally entered. His presence sober and forceful, the assembled bowed their heads immediately and ceremoniously raised their voices as one to intone, 
Hail to he, reclaimer of the moonlight. The dark gray-haired man took his place at the head of the table, raised his face as though looking toward the heavens of the very moon whose energies they were in the business of reclaiming, and raised his hands as he responded, May the horns of Sianewa once again encase her light. At the end of the traditional greetings, once their leader had sat himself into his ornate wooden chair, the gathered sat. Out of custom, all thirteen held their hands in front of them, clasped upon the wood's deep surface, holding their gazes steady, careful not to look directly at anyone, and especially not their revered master. The youth at the door looked at them all, openly and unabashed, until a flick from the master's wrist sent him crumbling to the floor. Many at the table spared a thought to admire that he had not made a sound as he fell. His training was progressing well. Indifferently, the master's eyes drifted toward the flame, and he absently flicked his fingers and motioned, causing the flame to change colors, grow, and shift, making playful shapes as he considered his words. Finally he spoke, his voice low and severe, but still echoing in the bare stone chamber. The changes are coming, he began. We will not be held below much longer. He paused, mostly for effect, then went on. There is little that can stand in our way now that the girl has been securely removed from the time stream that would have led to her intercession. He said the last word with a touch of disgust, unable to stop the feeling from seeping out of him. The pesky brat, a nobody from the same nowhere as the pile of flesh at the door, had somehow threatened their entire lives' work. And she doesn't even know it. All right, that's the free sample. <laughs> the bad guys uh, having that's... their shadowy meeting. That sounds great, man. Thank I you. I love the effect, the little chorus effect. That was great. That was great. Do you want to know how I did it? How'd you do it? I recorded myself with multiple inflections saying the same thing and then stacked it on top of each other and then stretched the audio so that the peaks and troughs would be pretty lined up. So it was like they were all in unison. Dude. That was awesome. Right. I was like, I was not expecting this. <laughs> Super cool. Yeah. yeah the fun. level of detail and like uh, professionalism that you bring to this is pretty amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I hope to uh, get better as I go. And I'm excited to continue and do your next book as well. So excited. I love it. I've actually got a few books queued up to uh, to read a few shorter ones before. <laughs> Have I sent you Earth? <laughs> No, I do not have a copy of that. Oh, yet. Well, I need to do that then. Yeah, I'm excited to read that, man. Especially knowing kind of like what I'm getting into a little more. Yeah. yeah. People, you're going to love it. I wish I could say that you could go get this on Audible right now. You will be able to, I'm sure, any day. Any day. The luck uh, upside here is that Lindsay is a podcaster. I'm a podcaster. You'll be able to... uh you'll be able to find out as soon as it's available. We will let you guys know. And yeah, uh, the way to get it will be through audible, which means if you are new to audible, whenever you sign up, you can get a free book credit, which means you could use your free audible book on this book. If you want, 
or any of my other audiobooks that I will be producing or the previous one I did, July's End with Black Swans. Also, that's a nonfiction, but full of amazing syncretism gravy that you guys will love. I'm actually going to be, that is the next one I have queued up is uh, book four of the Spirit World series. And it's interesting how it correlates to Sine Curve of Aeons in the sense that in this new Spirit World book, it's called A God's Acre for Winds of the Soul. I've already read it because I couldn't keep my hands off of it, even though I haven't like narrated it yet. Uh, and that's going to be amazing challenge because there's so many words from other languages that, and like straight up have to look at a word in Greek in the Greek alphabet and phonetically sound that out. <laughs> like I learned, that was what I learned the Greek alphabet in the previous iteration of the spirit world book I narrated. But anyway, he gets into um, the idea of the ages and the, the yugas and other, other versions of that same idea. It's universal. Yeah. But he throws shade at it a little bit. <laughs> Not that there's no such thing as like, ages or, or a process that's going on. He's more show, throwing shade at the the priest class that has been giving us these ideas. He's pointing out how like, you know, they're talking about millions of years cycles. It's just as abstract and impossible to, to really connect with as the, what the scientism side does with what they tell you about, like, you know, the age of the universe and things like that. It might as well be the, I mean, it is the same cult <laughs> that gives us the, uh, the white coat, and the black coat, the, uh, you know, the, the deep church and the, the scientism, but I'll read like a quick, <laughs> a quick little snarky thing that he says in this book. He goes, regarding the yugs or ages, every system seems to have its own age. The one thing astronomers and priests are consistent at is being incorrect. <laughs> Most add another layer to their talent for being logically fallacious, which is their superstitious beliefs that the figures in religious stories were literal historical people that can be dated, an error that has plunged humanity into the dark ages in which we still live. The priest class and mystery schools are to blame for this, for they couldn't exist without extorting the people of the nations in which they built their temples. Only they can bear the responsibility of concealing their secret doctrines under the guise of history. And what he's referring to there is how uh, there's so much that we're given as history that he shows conclusively in this work, like. Rome and Troy and things like that that are pure astrotheology. If you actually know it, the the symbolism, you know, like the twelve emperors of Rome, uh, how many signs are in the zodiac, and things of that nature. And so, what he's pointing out is not that there's no such thing as procession or ages, but more like he makes this great point that uh, look at how long a year, a solar year, is. We currently hold it to be three hundred and sixty-five point two five days, right, and yeah, for a long time, they were trying to make a year fit to 360 days. And there are like the procession, for example, they people wanted it to be 72 years per one degree of processional shift of the ecliptic moving. But it's not exactly that. It's like a fraction. Uh, there's like a decimal in there for it to be exact. And he, he makes the point of like, it's almost as if God wanted to make sure that nature could never really fit to some kind of superstitious system of whole numbers and exactness. And that the priest class has been wanting their observate, like tweaking their observations to try to fit their own doctrine about what they believe about certain numbers and things. 
And so it's really sounds interesting. like sounds like what's happening right now with everything. They're like, yeah. no, really, this is what's going on. Look, we'll just change all these numbers. See, now it works. Now there's global climate change. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, if that's how science works, then they, yeah, sure. That's what's going on now, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's very uh, interesting that, um, you know, I all of those things like you're talking about are so disconnected from us. Like, where, how could we even conceive of this? Um, the age of the yuga or you know what it, even what age we're in right there's so much contention some people are like oh no we left the dark age like a while ago i'm like okay well I, I don't think so but there and there's 72 different ways of looking at that like which age we're in and where we are in each age and like how you're going to calculate it and it's like i it, clearly no one really knows um or a lot of people think they know for sure and since none of them agree it's it's hard to say but um it's so depersonalized and it seems so out there and so far away from us. And all we know is we're living right now and here's what's going on right now. And that was part of why I wanted to read a book about it. I, wa I was like, I just want to imagine what it's like. I just want to like jump into this world and just see what life might've been like and why it might've been like that and all of this. Um, but more importantly to bring back, like you were saying, Chance, this like idea that, not just to be guided by your soul and not just to follow your heart and not just to do those things, even if they sometimes seem ridiculous or the opposite of logical, but also to like take responsibility for yourself. Uh, Cause a hundred percent of all of the things that happen in this book <laughs> and, and all the ones I think that are going to come out of me uh, highlight that, that if just one person would just take responsibility for themselves, then all sorts of things would be massively different, perhaps for all of time, for all of humanity, <laughs> right? And all those quotes are saying the same thing, right? They're saying, if you want to change the world, you have to change yourself. If you want to um, do good, like your angels are going to be stoked about that. And if you don't, like the world's going to be a little shittier because of that. That's you doing that, right? Because we have this conception, especially like when we think about like the priest class or who's running CERN or like all of these things, we have this feeling like this is something outside of us. It's external and therefore I can't control it. And therefore I'm powerless. And like, no, you can't control it. Actually, you can only control one thing in all of the universe for all of time, no matter which incarnation or where you are or what time period it is. And that's you. <laughs> and that's literally only going to be the ever, the only thing you're ever going to control is you. And so, yeah, there might be fucking psychopathic evil fucks. Who knows what kind of dark shit they get into or what they're trying to pull off or how successful they've been or not been. It doesn't matter. I still just have to take care of me. And just do that. And that is all I can do anyway. And it's the best thing for the whole universe that you do that. Yeah. It's very, it's very personal, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that whole, oh, we're in the Cal age, the Cal Yuga, age of destruction, age of darkness, all those type of ideas. Doesn't that just sort of give people a mental abstract concept that's an out for why their life sucks rather yes. than because it wouldn't it doesn't matter what the rest of the world is doing you can get in alignment with nature you can get in alignment with truth you can follow your highest calling you can live out your purpose yep and it, it won't matter what's on the sky clock right nope. now you know, I you mean, know that will say. have influence over how you do it and what you do to a degree but it and doesn't like stop you from having free will and exercising it 
And, and it, yeah, like, exactly. It's not going to stop, stop whatever's happening around you or what things feel like or seem like how much toxins are being dumped on you or whatever. But you also have this choice to do anything with that. And you're, um, oh, God, I lost it, but it was so good. It was like, you know, as soon as someone else oh, starts talking, this is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the dark age, you know, which I firmly believe we are in the middle of, um, maybe towards the outer edge, who knows, but in the dark, it is what they say. Right. And it seems very true to me in my own experience, at least they say like one, one little match struck in the dark age, whew, lights up everything. <laughs> you're in the light age, you're in the golden age, you light a match. Everyone's like, yeah, cool. We got bonfires over here, bitch. Like, who cares about your stupid match? Like, it doesn't matter. No, they're it's like, not- oh, what a nice match you've got That's there. True. You're so beautiful. <laughs> you are wonderful. You're, you're right. a special <laughs> match. But no one notices the match. And the match doesn't actually have an increase in your own enlightenment because you're like, I mean, you're surrounded by light. So they say in the golden age, you'd have to do like 10,000 and Hail Marys or whatever, whatever to get like an ounce of enlightenment. But in the dark age, you have one thought of light and it it like pushes you like even further. So mm-hmm. you have more opportunity now. If that's true, feels true to me. If that's true, you have more opportunity now than you're ever going to get in your soul's progression, right? <laughs> right now to just be your best light and let it shine. So, okay, good. This is this is where I, this is this, the cool stuff. We were talking last night in the conspiratorium about how these things, these conversations, our idea farms are the only thing that really is kind of tangible. And this is what we've kind of found throughout these ancestral lines of, 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 um, uh, what are they, the story cultures, the cultures that keep the campfire cultures. I think they call them in anthropology where it's all, um, you know, like Native Americans and the, and the uh, uh, Aboriginals tradition. and oral traditions. The, you know, everybody, every time an idea is conveyed and we talk about these things and we analyze and we, we get a little bit further because you teach me one, you know, I learned something from Lindsay Sharman and then I've learned something from, from Chance and then I learned something from uh, any of the spiders. And then we're all rising boats you know we're rising tides but this these things even i mean as amazing as these things are and how much we learn learn from these things these are combustible these are going to burn these are going to degrade someday but that idea that we spread today might go on forever yes it's true and it might spark the thing that makes someone follow their soul's path that leads to like saving the world. <laughs> That's right. Super cool. I'm glad I got to talk to you again, Lizzie Sharman. Oh yeah. It's I'm so stoked. Fun. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad. It's always um, good to hang with you guys. You too, man. Um, so one of the, uh, shoe. I get, I see, this is my thing. I get easily distracted by all the, like, I can't do chats and stuff. I can't, because <laughs> I'm like, oh, tinfoil. Oh, another thing. Um, but like, 
these are these are um like being able to talk about a wogi what a wogi is with somebody like that's a special time i think so Lindsay, what's a wogi i was gonna say i don't think anyone knows what a wogi is it was such a random find like every book that comes to me in my life is just random chance it just falls into my lap or i just there's no such thing as chance I agree. And so all of them are like these most amazing like pivot points in my life because this book just like happened, which is why I feel really bad. But people are always like, you should read this. You should read that. You should read this. And I'm like, I can't. I'm reading like what my soul tells me to read. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of them. So I mean, get in line. But um, one of the books that I was brought was brought to me uh, was a shamanic teaching book. Um, you know, and it was really it was so beautiful because there's so many millions out there. Uh, but this one was like written for me. Like it was exactly my language I was already speaking. So it confirmed and affirmed a lot for me. Uh, and then it also had these little nuggets in it that I'm like, I didn't know anyone else in the world had these experiences or knew what was going on. And um, one of the experiences I've had my whole life that was in this book was Wogies. And I didn't call them that at first. I just thought they were aliens because uh, we talk about UFOs and, you know, I had heard of UFOs and their lights in the sky. So if there's a light in the sky that isn't behaving as a normal earth plane or jet should, uh, it's a UFO, right? Um, and, but they quickly like showed me that they were not that at all. And that they're in fact, non-physical, non-material, that they communicate psychically uh, and that they're energetic beings or interdimensional beings, if you want to call them that, and that they can appear however they want to appear. Um, but most often appear as lights, especially at night in the sky. Uh, and so I just started like thinking of them as angelic or demonic or whatever, cause some are good and some are bad and, um, or whatever, if we want to judge them. And uh, I didn't know how else to really describe them. And I stopped talking to people about them even because people were just like, <laughs> yeah, you're weird. Like <laughs> some people would see them with me. And that was really cool. Like I could call them if the person was willing uh, and wanted to see them. Then I could like call them and they would come and the person would experience that too. But believe it or not, most people don't want to. Like that's too much for them. They're like, no, I'm like comfortable in 3D you know, like I got to go to work tomorrow. Like I don't really need to like get up into like some interdimensional shit and try to figure out what this universe is and what my purpose of life is. So a lot of people just don't want to know or see, uh, but some people would want to, and they would see it, you know, but otherwise I just didn't really have um, a way to talk about it or anybody who cared basically, or wanted to talk about it. And then I read this book and they called them the Wogies. And I was like, Ah, because I'm like, I hate calling them UFOs. I hate mm -hmm. calling them aliens because they're neither of those things. I don't want to call them angels or demons because they're not that either. Right. Um, and so what do I call them? Um, so I call them Wogies now because of that book. And I'm just so grateful that book came into my life and taught me that concept. And in that specific tradition, um, you know, the Wogies are part of the guardians of the the equivalent of like a walkabout that that tribe would do, right? You go out and this is how you become a man and you go up into the mountain and you survive for three days and three nights. And, and then you come back no and you food, have your no water, no food, no you water, just pray and chant and, and ask to be shown what you need to be shown. Absolutely. No tools. Yep. And so they were saying, you know, some people never come back from that. <laughs> the end, like goodbye to you. Uh, so it is like a confronting thing and that these wogies are part of both the protectors and the challengers on that path. Right. 
So they'd be like, yeah, we're going to help keep you safe and whatever. And also we're going to like confront you with this. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> um, which is really interesting to think about too. Again, I've talked about how like some of them seem sort of bad, but at the same time, none of them has ever harmed me, but they have presented like certain challenges uh, that caused me to grow. Uh, so it is very interesting how well it correlated. And I was just like, okay, yeah, they're Wogies. So I actually did an episode called Wogies or Star Beings or both. Or Actually, I don't remember what the episode's called, but I talk all about them and some of my experiences with them. That was a good one. I happened to catch that one. Oh, good. Yeah. I always that wish that one. I could see every one of everybody's shows, but when I do tune in to your stuff, I'm always so glad that I managed to get in on that one. And you know what? I just found a book that talks about them as wogies. Shut up. Really? Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. Well, what's the book called? Oh, everyone. I recommend this book highly, especially because I'm pretty sure we'll be able to get one of the authors on Interverse. Uh, what? But this is Origins of the Gods. It came out this year, but it's Andrew okay. Collins and Greg Little. They've done tons of amazing work together and independently. Greg Little is the reason why we even have a comprehensive understanding of the mound building culture of mm. North America. Dude cool. is amazing. Actually, he, his experience, I'm pretty sure, is that in a, he was like working in psychology and as a doctor and helping people that way. And then he had some kind of dream experiences where beings were like, you got to go check out the mounds and you have to look at all of them. You got to go to all the mounds. <laughs> so he created like an encyclopedia of mounds in North America. Wow, That was way, way back. And that was kind of what got him into this path. But this book, I've been listening to the audiobook of it. Speaking of audiobooks. And it's called Origins of the Gods, Kesem Cave, Skinwalkers, and Contact with Transdimensional Intelligences. That's another. So just I have to tell you, the first the first iteration of Sir Nunos that was on the cover of Sign Curve of Aeons, uh, the title to the piece of art that I borrowed that from was called Transdimensional Emissary. Oh, yeah, I've got <laughs> that version of the book. I can go grab it in a second. But to just wrap up with this. They explore, I'll read this little detailed uh, about this book, an, ex, an examination of the role played by shamanism and communication with higher intelligences in the development of ancient civilizations. Explores how our ancestors use shamanic rituals at sacred sites to create portals for communication with non-human intelligences, shares supporting evidences from the spiritual and shamanic beliefs of more than 100 Native American tribes. Shows how the earliest forms of shamanism began at sites like Kesem Cave in Israel more than 400,000 years ago. So anyway, a uh, couple of interesting points that I'm taking out of this that aren't maybe where they were intending for or aware of. But like when they're talking about these spiritual and shamanic beliefs of more than 100 Native American tribes, I'm over here with all this study I've been doing into the syncretism between all of the other mythologies and religious cults of history. And showing that they are all coming from the same source and they're all really the same thing. And like this, the, the exact same doctrine of emanations in a different, you know, different packaging was what the Native American tribes had. So back to Sign Curve of Aeons, your book, one of the things thematically that's going on in that book is like, without it being too big of a spoiler, you know, you're showing a world that has a connected civilization with harmony harmonious uh, cohesion of their understanding of the spiritual reality. I won't even call it spiritual beliefs. They have 
they just like just understand spirit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like part of their life. And uh, so the other thing, other than the syncretism showing that the North America and South America, they probably have origins in terms of their mythologies in the same place or maybe world spanning civilization that the uh, European and the Orientals had on top of that, he gets into some really, really fascinating science on plasma, which I've been talking about this too, before I found this book that plasma is a life form that plasma actually does. And he gets into so much great detail, but plasma as a state of energy or matter, kind of an in-between between energy and matter, it is able to self-organize and self-replicate. And it takes on properties like a double barrier membrane that you would see in a cell wall or double helical patterns that then uh, replicate themselves like cellular mitosis. The plasma does that shit. (laughs) And so they're making this really, or it's mostly Greg Little is making this argument that what we're calling wogies, what we're calling UFOs sometimes. I mean, there could be other things that we call UFOs as well, but that we're looking at like, etheric critters (laughs) and we're looking at plasma critters in a sense and that they're just vibrating at a rate and a density that is beyond most people's level of perception like the difference between seeing auras and not seeing auras but that this is a intelligent self-organizing energy that when we say that these are like spiritual beings and non-physical beings that's partly true, but there yeah. does seem to actually be a pathway for us to understand them physically on a physical level. And I'm super excited about that because I have been really feeling that it's time to bridge that divide between our belief and like we're on the physical plane and there's the spirit world over there. And it's unknowable that yeah. I think that this is the spirit world. We never left. There's nowhere else that you can go. The physical world is just one part of the band frequency bandwidth of the infinite spirit. And we're in the spirit world right now. There isn't a separation between there and here other than conceptually. Division is mental. And we can heal that divide because nature doesn't even want us to do division. It's not even how it operates. In fact, it's the priest class and the the media and all these different wannabe powers that were that have always wielded division in our minds first in order to divide and conquer us on the physical plane and take those resources that um, our, our birthright, which is nature. So anyway, that's my rant. That was a pretty good rant. That's absolutely true too, that those plasma beings, energy beings, etheric beings, spiritual beings, like they exist fully. It's not, you know, cause when we say spiritual, the other thing we do is we tend to say, think like, Oh, so it's not really real or like, you know, Oh, so it's like over there. It's like, Oh, it's like the collective unconscious sort of, or it's, Oh, it's psychological or something. Uh, and in reality, like, like chance is saying, like it is actually real. So one of the, one of the ways I know that experientially is, is this Cernudos who came into this book, who, um, had, who I had never seen the God Cernunos before. I'd never heard of him before. I'd never read about him. I've never like knew what he was about, nothing about him at all. Uh, and then all of a sudden I'm writing this character into this book. I understand that he's this spiritual sort of entity that being exactly of the nature that chance is just describing, you know, plasmatic might be the best way. Trans-dimensional might be another way to talk about him. 
here's all his characteristics. Here's what he looks like. Here's what he's doing. Right. And then I go and I find this ultimate synchronicity between this painting that uh, Chance is holding up here, which is titled Transdimensional Emissary. It looks exactly similar to how Sir Nunes first appeared in this book. It looks exactly similar to where he appeared in this book. There's even that portal that he's coming through. And I was like, I was like, that's my book. I was like, how did this artist paint my book? Like a scene from my book. I was like tripping out about this. Then shortly after that, just a random like article or something got posted from somebody that was, or, you know, I saw, I don't even know how. And it was just like Sir Nunos. And it was a similar sort of horned masculine being. And I was like, what the hell is this? I was like, there he is again. I was like, what is this thing? And I click on it, read about it. Every single aspect of Sir Nunosa is true in our lived reality for that group of people in that part of the world is exactly how he's coming through in this book. Why? I mean, because he exists. Because <laughs> they saw him and knew him in this way and knew all his characteristics. They didn't make that up, right? Like, that's how he comes through. That's the energy he carries. That's his job. That's his role, right? And so I saw the same thing and perceived the same thing. And like, that just is it. That's how it exists. The same thing has happened to me when I'm doing um, ceremonies now for people or guided sessions for people where something will come through and I'm like, it's like this. It has these qualities. It's like, it looks like this to me. I think its name sounds kind of like this. Uh, here's what it wants to share with you and talk about blah, blah, blah. And then we'll go look it up afterwards. And it's like, yeah, just like Sernunos. It's a real God somewhere or goddess somewhere. It has those exact qualities. That's what it looks like. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know those people or things, but clearly they exist because how else did they come through? Right. But it'll be very specific. There was a saint once that came through uh, and I don't remember which one. And it was like Saint so-and-so. And and he told me I'm Saint so-and-so. And and here's the things he's doing and saying and being and I'm describing all this and we go look it up and it's Saint so-and-so, a real human being that lived. (laughs) And that was his name. And those were the things he was all about. And I didn't know that before then like i met him on the spiritual dimension then i found the evidence that he existed in real life and this has happened to me now so many times that i'm like i don't even question it anymore like yep here's this thing this is what it looks like this is what it's saying this is what it wants you to know (laughs) like there it is um so my point being those things exist, like you said. Though we can think of them as spiritual or not, it doesn't matter actually what word we want to give to it because that just is an existence, a level of being that exists. And they're just like us in every other way besides that they're not this density or whatever you want to call this. Hey, everybody, encourage uh, James Maiden to get on screen with us for the end here. Hi, James. We really want to see you, Jim. Hey, can I plug something else uh, that you can get through Lindsay Sherman's site? Definitely. Oh, yeah. I got that. Uh, this one I got directly from the artist. But th- these are medicine bags that Lindsay Shen- show, uh, sells on her site. Made by, uh, oh, my God. Lacey. Lacey. Yeah, Lacey's an incredible, beautiful leather worker. She also made me this tarot case for my tarot cards which is really beautiful and well done. So she's yeah. (laughs) I know. I love it. I always just had them in like my box or whatever, but so she going through her directly to get any kind of leather work is awesome. And if you want to buy one of her medicine bags, they're on the site at rogueways.org. 
Uh, and I send them with some medicine you can add if you would like to, um, that I ask your guides to tell me which things would be good for you. And I give you a little note about why they did that. And so, or if you just want the bag, you also can are obviously free to go with tradition and, and get your own medicine to put in as well. I don't put it in for you. You do that yourself. I actually should hit Lacey up because my itching cards, they I've had been just keeping them in the box that they came in. And uh, I was at this festival in May. <laughs> it got pretty wet and soggy and the box disintegrated the cards survived wow that's amazing actually yeah but the box disintegrated so i don't really have a good kiss for them now this is interesting though because that you pulled that out because before we got started i had this deck pulled out and i thought maybe Lindsay and i will end up pulling a card for the collective tonight and then you just Showed us your deck. So like, I don't have to ask, you got your deck handy? Oh, it's time. Yeah. So I'd love to do that. Uh, I'm going to pull from the Mystical Shaman Oracle by Alberto Violdo. And I really have been enjoying this deck. It's new to me, but I'll let you go first if you are down to do a draw for everybody. Sure. I'm going to pull from my Handel deck, which is the only deck I have. Uh, it's a beautiful deck. It draws from all cultures around the world and many traditions, including the I Ching and astrology and more is all in Harris correspondences uh, depending on if you're doing major or minor arcana can we maybe tap into like why did the Georgia Guidestones get blown up today was that wogies that did it <laughs> is it a false flag let's say um, what message would you like to share with us about the Georgia Guidestones destruction today that's perfect there you go This is the card of the devil. <laughs> Just uh, in case we wanted to know more about that guy. I actually love this card, though, because it's it's far less scary and like demonic than we might think. Um, the devil card is actually more about temptation than anything else. Um, you know, so the devil is actually this very high level spiritual being. Uh, he's got his little third eye open here. Um, and he's got his snake indicating that like, whether we look at that as Kundalini or as wisdom or as whatever else, like he's got it. Uh, you know, we're the ones who then say like the goat is bad or the cloven hoof is bad and the snake is bad, but they're actually, they have their energies and their goodness. What the devil does do, like he even has his crystal crown. Right. He's he's not he's not fucking around spiritually. But what we usually do is we make the devil our scapegoat and we say, like, it's your fault. This and this happened. Right. But uh, we do that mostly out of temptation as well. So whether we're talking about the temptation of like drugs and alcohol and the things that sort of draw us down, which we're doing to ourselves, devil's not doing that to us. <laughs> right. Or we're talking about the temptation to blame our problems on others like the psychopathic elite. And whatever else, right? The, both of those are sort of devilish energies and temptations. And what the devil actually asks us to do, especially upright like this, is to say, like, in what ways are you, like, the very fitting of the theme of this conversation, in which ways are you abrogating your self-responsibility and saying, like, well, I can't, they're spraying the skies and they're, like, control the school system, so I can't do anything. 
this this dark age sucks and I'm just a victim of it. Like, in what ways are you doing that? Or in what ways are you like, I'm a Dutch farmer, bitch, and I'm going to fucking shut down the government. Hi, Janie. Hi, <laughs> Surprise. No, By the way, Janie's going to be on Rogue Ways this Sunday. Oh, perfect. Ah. <laughs> I like impromptu with you. It never really happens. happens. I know. You know what's funny is I was saying, I was like, I'm pretty sure I fucked up and there's actually supposed to be someone, but my it's not on my calendar and I have no way of finding out who it was. So I guess thank you for wanting to come on the show. And then like two days later, someone messaged me and was like, by the way, I can't do the show this Sunday. I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. (laughs) I was like, if you're watching this right now and you're supposed to be on this Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the devil... Right. Wants us to take responsibility for ourselves, stop blaming others and stop pretending like evil is the reason that our life sucks um, and, and get better. And the other message of it would, of course, be to like resist temptations that you have built into yourself that, you know, threaten to drag you down. Uh, but I really, especially in given that we're drawing this in connection with the Georgia Guidestones, would say this message is to stop blaming the the what we perceive to be the powerful few for our problems and start start being like those Dutch guys and just doing what the fuck we want. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's such a, <laughs> yeah, so good. So good. I uh, couldn't agree more with your analysis of why the devil card would come up there and symbolic of the Godstones being removed is like, look, there's nobody in your way anymore. That's why I've been calling them the powers that were. Yeah, that's <laughs> I like it. You know, so I drew the seer. Oh, let's get it where it's not reflecting my light. Yeah, the seer. So the seer is about the capacity to reach beyond the obvious details and discern the information that's available in the hidden realms. It's like this is a it's time to open up to our further open up to our psychic gifts, our perceptions and intuitions, trust the knowing that we just know something without having to exactly be able to point a to point B know the line of how that came into our understanding. So (laughs) in context with the Georgia Guidestones, this is like, Hey, do some reading between the lines, not just the, whatever the story is of how this happened is probably not the case. Whatever the obvious mundane explanation is, there's probably something more to it uh, that maybe this is showing us that how this happened is some sort of a manifestation of energy from the unseen realms that we may not be able to understand logically, but we can trust that that uh, <laughs> the hidden realm doesn't follow the same rules as what we consider to be the rules of three dimension, three dimensional life. So. Uh, this is a card about like, in terms of what you just said about the devil, the seer showing up is saying, time to get out of denial, time to quit ignoring what you know, time to do what it's time to do. You know, like basically the first rule of any initiation into a true spiritual path or the path of enlightenment is, and it, this is the the first rule of fight club, right? <laughs> the first rule of your initiation and their, your path as an adept is stop lying to yourself. And that rule will always be rule number one. And you have to continually see through the lies you've been telling yourself about yourself and about why your situation is limiting or why you can't this or that. You know, I run into this all the time with tunings with people is like, you are holding on to some belief of 
your lack of power, powerlessness. It's in your chest. It's in your solar plexus, this, this belief of powerlessness. But when you can get clear on, on those blockages energetically, your vision also clears up. Uh, so, you know, it's not time for wishful thinking. Somebody's going to come fix the problem. It's time to see the moment for what it is that this is our invitation to work our medicine, to be on the path, to surrender your vision to spirit is what the card is really saying. Like you're going to be shown stuff. If you ask, if you Ask and you promise to yourself that you're going to take what is shown to you to heart and not ignore, not ignore and not uh, self-deceive and not be in denial. And, and not lie to yourself. Not lie to yourself. And at that point, you know, your gifts will just continually be apparent because they're always present. Your gifts are the present moment. <laughs> that is what it is. The, there's, what you need is always present. And the Sears medicine is about having the clarity to be able to like, this is what shamanism really is, is like always being so clear in your, your body and your inner world, outer world connection that you are able to pinpoint how the outer world is showing up with some kind of energetic blockage or stagnation in flow and go, Oh, okay. That means that in my inner world, in my actual biology, the corresponding flow needs to be primed in that region. And all I do is prime that flow within myself in the corresponding energy center to whatever this blocked feeling is out there that I'm witnessing and watch it change. And I don't even have to make anybody else do anything or even tell anybody anything. I change it in here and watch it change out there. So that's like the power of the seer. Hermetic as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. Yeah. I really am loving this deck. Powerful archetypes. Yeah. But what's up, Chaney? What's up, Gordy? So, Cheney, you had an experience just now? Just as, now. I was okay. driving. I had to go and get gas and whatever. And uh, I uh, saw the little light in the sky that I'm pretty used to seeing. Like, I'm, I don't want to say I can call you. I, yeah, I can call UFOs. But when I'm with my certain, if you believe you, we can call UFOs too, it's faster. Yeah. Like if I bring you there and I try to hat trick it, it's like a thing that I'm like, I'm going to need you to either believe that there's UFOs or believe in me that I can call. Like one of these things has to happen mm-hmm. because I can call them by myself all the time and a buddy of mine, but I was just driving. So I thought I saw one of the little satellite ones, you know, the like little fast dots across the sky. And then it went like where I was like, oh, it's disappearing. And I was standing with my friend Alex. So I was like, oh, look, look. And I, you know, when you point at something the whole time and I try to explain to people, don't look at the lights, just let your eyes blur and see the movement. Yeah. Like I tried it, but it's like, so then you're pointing and they can't see ever where you're pointing ever. <laughs> ever (laughs) unless it's like so big so but then it like went into the clouds and it like not it didn't go into the clouds it went up (laughs) like but it turned and it was so small but it like uh fanned out in red lights like it all went in separate directions as it faded out in red lights but it was so small that i was like that i would have just like i see those all the time so i just am like okay satellites (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm like, okay. But I never seen it change color like that or like expand. So that was what like, color was it? It just was like white, just a steady little white dot. And then it looked like it was getting fainter. And then it turned into like, I don't want to even guess how many, but it just turned into, let's say eight red dots in a circle around it. But they went away. I love that. Do you ever uh, ask them questions or communicate with them psychically? Hi, James. I do. I tell them I'm ready now for them to come closer. Like, I'm not going to be as scared now. Yeah. Like, I try to give them this, like, almost the exact same way, honestly. Like, if I were in the jungle somehow and there was a big cat and it was eye to eye, I almost feel this, like, okay this comfort of like, not this death thing, like this thing wants to eat me right now. Like this thing's just drinking water. I'm just drinking water and we just catch each other. And just knowing as a species and it knowing as a species, neither of us wants to harm the other in that moment. We're just drinking water. Um, That's kind of how I feel about it, but it's a panther. So it's like, I'm just trying to be like, okay, come closer, come closer, come closer. And I've seen them pretty close, like cloud level close. But um. I'm like, all right, now I haven't said show yourself. That would be the, (laughs) but like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready. Yeah. (laughs) There have been some of my best teachers in my whole life. I'm interested. I never even tried to communicate with them past their vehicle. It's so silly. (laughs) I'm just like, I don't know. Now it's just more direct. But for a while it was like flash once for yes and twice for no. Or whatever, flash this color for whatever, and they would just do that and, you know, answer questions. But that's not much of a conversation. You don't actually get as much out of that. And in fact, if you don't ask good questions, you get jack shit, right? If you're like, should I? This is like a good example is the should question. Should I blah, blah, blah? They're like, should what? What is should? Like, (laughs) you know, like, give me the criteria here. If you're like, if I want to, you know, succeed in this business, is it best that I make this choice? And even then they might be like, I don't know, physically, mentally, spiritually, like which avenue you look into, you get the feedback here on. I'm like, shit. Like, you have it's to almost be so like cross-examination precise. in court. Specific. You know, yeah. the, witness, the witness is called up to the stand and you're not really supposed to put the information in the question. You're supposed to design the question so that this, the one you're asking gives the information in their response exactly and they're like well i can't i'll respond but it's gonna mean jack shit because your question sucked you're like fuck (laughs) i mean that's true they're like you and i both know that was not worth yeah this is not you can do so much better (laughs) (laughs) oh and they're right and this is when people (laughs) post those things from teachers from classrooms where they're like you know where was Kennedy shot? And the kid's like in the head and they're like, got an F. And I'm like, no, the kid fucking answered your question. I agree. When I see the kids get the answer (laughs) Uh smarter than the test, I'm like, this kid should just pass the test regardless because that shows some kind of next level that they're thinking outside your system. And they're like, well, you know what I meant. And I'm like, yeah, but your question was stupid. So that's your fault. (laughs) Like you have to. And you know what I meant is the same as you know what I felt. Like, no, say it. Or do as I say. Say it with your vibrations. Don't make me say it. This is my spell. You say a spell. (laughs) (laughs) Say what you mean. Mean what you say. (laughs) Hey, let's say hi to Jim here. I had you muted because of your shop sounds a little bit, but. Hey, guys. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Amazing. You're looking handsome with that shorter beard. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I had to trim it. 
goats tried to eat it. <laughs> you know how they are. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I like it shorter as well. I thought it the other night on the show. I was like, something looks so different, but here's, there was three things going on. You had your hair pulled back, which was different. You had your beard cut, which was different. And you had no green screen on your t-shirt. So it was just like, everything about you looks so different right now. I don't know what one of these (laughs) things to call out in this room of 13 people. Maybe none. (laughs) More real. It's it's nice having changes. Changes in everything. Yeah, I did the same thing, although more extreme. It's something about uh, when I see myself, I feel like I look like uh, I'm 20 now. I'm like, who is that guy? (laughs) Freaking me out. (laughs) You do look a lot younger. Yeah, you always have different facial hair, though, a little bit. It's like like the facial hair changes and the hair. (laughs) So it's like you always have a lot going on, too. I like it. I like the change of the hair and facial hair. If I had a could grow facial hair. I would have Elvis chops sometimes. I would have like, I would <laughs> do Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. That'd be I hard asked, though. That's a lot to manicure. Like I commend you. I don't you want this, but I would do the little Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> <laughs> but almost Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. Where I'd be like, this is Charlie Chaplin. What, what are, are you, you a racist? About? Nazi. <laughs> and then also where your, um, you know, whatever we call the swastika, maybe it's still just called the swastika when it's the spiritual, you know, big dipper <laughs> instead of whatever, uh, which both were actually, I'll just say that for the Nazis. Like, I mean, they were representing the big dipper and it was a spiritual symbol to them as well. So I'm not mad that they used it, but anyways, <laughs> have that too. And then just fight with people. Yeah, <laughs> you could see you're like, perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, Jim, one of the things I was hoping you would give us a little bit of more insight on was in our private chat, we were, I was observing a lot of interesting symbolism in some of how the, <laughs> the demolition of these Georgia Guidestones was being shown to the normies on the TV. Are you down to get into that a little bit? I could talk about it a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Um, let's see. I think I, it, I saw a video of it being demolished like the the minute that it was struck down by whatever it was the lightning or missile it's really hard to say because it was like such an up close camera angle that you didn't really see anything beyond the the monument it was really conveniently cropped so you couldn't tell what was going on but um yeah it it happened at uh 403 and 33 seconds a.m. So the first thing I thought I thought was the the three minutes and 33 seconds. I'm gonna I'm gonna be on brand here and show oh, my right. phone. I'm like, is that it? That's yeah. the moment, right? Let's That's see. the moment. It was 333. 333. Local three. time. And that's that's the oh, chaos. That's a chaos see. number. Three three three. It's Koronzon. Koron, Koronzon. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what it is. What is it? What it is, is a bunch of conspiracy theorists slash rednecks slash smart enough to know what to do. 
and they got themselves drunk and they had fireworks and they were like, I bet you we could make something and shoot it at that motherfucker and put a hole in it. Like, I bet you we could knock it down was their goal. They're like, how hard would it be to knock it down? We probably only have to hit it in one spot. But I just think it would be an easy, easier to accomplish than people think it is to yeah. make a cannon or some kind of <laughs> missile out of fireworks. My uncle was in Vietnam and he would he used to make his own fireworks all the time. And sometimes he would stick like half stick of dynamite in a bottle rocket. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that was in Redneckville. You know, anywhere in the Rockies, you can you can find some dude, that guy in junior high that can teach you how to do that. So, oh, you need a what? You need blasting caps? Hang on. I got something here. I found in a mine somewhere, you know. Don't you think fireworks are an un- outlandish amount expensive because they're a useful commodity? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gunpowder gun powder itself. That's of course. Point. They have to yeah. be specially handled. Yeah, you were talking about it the other night. When we were kids, man, we would buy a gross of bottle rockets for like, I don't know, your pocket change. Like a gross, 144. And you it's could, not because we're 100, okay? Yeah, well, <laughs> I get that I know, a lot, I see but I seriously, kind of, almost. You know, my experience on the 4th when doing my duty as the you know, the able one to light off the explosives that my dad bought. Uh, the weirdest, but also not weird or surprising at all thing that happened was multiple fireworks fountains that I lit actually malfunctioned and fired exploding balls of, you know, gunpowder or whatever the hell it is directly at the audience. <laughs> and it wasn't once, it wasn't twice, it was like four times. And it was, it constituted half of the things that I lit that were, a, that you would call like a big display fountain type thing that actually shot in the direction of the fuse directly, directly back at, you know, where you would be running away towards. And uh, I couldn't help but wonder, like, why are we letting China sell us explosives without like any real regulation when, they think that the CCP wants to kill us and take our shit. Openly <laughs> like what, in what policy written. Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing <laughs> here? Like, let's, un- let's let them control our infrastructure, too. Let's sell them all our best land. Um, what else? Let's let them give us all our medical supplies and then create a possibly something that causes us to need them. Whether so from the infrastructure or like a pathogen could be either, right? Could be both. Yeah, we, we even gave him Tom Hanks. We did? <laughs> yeah. That, uh, <laughs> what? That war movie. It's like a, a totally AI, or I don't know if it's AI, but the whole movie was CGI pretty much. And uh, Polar Express? That's a horrifying movie. That's a horrifying movie. I've never seen it, thank God. Me either. And I'm obsessed <laughs> with Tom Hanks. <laughs> like, and obsessed like, and not like how horrible way. he is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, what's the deal with Joe versus the volcano? I've never seen that either. Have I you? have to pull out my, <laughs> don't make me get my spider web of Tom <laughs> Hanks out. 
<laughs> so Lindsay, but ask me about it another time. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll, we'll do this again. Um, Lindsay, how many ways would you say, like, a wogi can be kind of anything, right? Like, it's kind of a formless energy. Is that what you would call that yes. kind of experience? Is it formless? Like, I mean, I've seen no, it can take swarm. So most often I would see it as lights and like Shaney described, like sometimes they would turn into multiple lights at once. Sometimes it would be scattered across the whole sky so quickly in so many that like, there's no way there's just like 2000 wogies up there and they all flash just at the right time to make it look like they were sparkling together. Right. Like, um, so that's happened. I've seen them in the daytime appear as jets, as commercial air flight, uh, airline planes and as a uh, Cessnas I've seen them change in daylight from a Cessna to a commercial plane so so they could take any form they want I've seen that them- is interesting let me just weigh in that once myself and my buddy Kurt were standing on my front porch in my house and it looked like a plane it looked exactly like a plane was flying towards us but it was way too low like it was they taking like to up. Do that too. It was way too low. I was like, "This can't be happening right now." And then, as it was swooping overhead of us, it literally did like a Transformers, like the robot car Transformers thing, and like and changed shapes. And uh, it had multiple colored lights on it and everything. Anyway, I yeah didn't really know what to make of it. Mm, that's that was a long time ago. That's these, as far as I'm concerned, and they're. Like the one that I saw turn from a Cessna into a air, commercial airliner or vice versa. I don't remember which direction the change went, but it was just instantaneous. I was just looking straight at it, not blinking. One and one when it was a Cessna, and the next minute it was a commercial, or second, it was a commercial plane. And I've seen them come down and take form as a being, which um, ridiculously enough was a little green man. It was literally this big. <laughs> glowing and he could move things so he was physical or he had the ability to affect physical reality uh because he moved the grass aside to come through and be like hey it was like Cheney was saying book, i was Collins like you book. can come down if you want and then they were like okay and it came down and like peach through the grass and i was like okay that's enough bye-bye like <laughs> we're done <laughs> he, here he gets into the little people in this book too like how oh, wow. little people fit into this so that's interesting you said that tiny tiny little people like this was little little people like he was literally probably baby two inches or something at most um and he was smiling and happy and nice but i just was like i don't i don't know if i'm really ready for this right now like my cigarette's gone anyway so i'm gonna go inside um (laughs) (laughs) so they're tricksters they're definitely can be very tricksterish yeah Especially in that way we were just talking about with the devil, where they're like, oh, well, maybe it's time for you to confront this. And you're like, I didn't really want to do that. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Okay, so let let me just tell you this experience and let me see what Lindsay Sharman thinks, because this is is the perfect audience right here. Um, So, okay, I had an experience where I was trying to kind of, in that purposeful meditation kind of thing, call out to whatever it is, you know, the mystery. And I was kind of exploring this idea that, you know, of if aliens are there, we can, we can connect with them, tele, you know, essentially telepathically. Right. I mean, if everybody, everything is a spirit and we believe in kind of every uh, 
sentient being comes from source, right? Or has some sort of connection. That means we have a connection too. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to do this hardcore meditation and see if mantis people are real, right? So I do this and I'm in a bar. And it's like one of those old 70s sunken bars. If you know, like there, everything's like red vinyl. I saw it as soon as you said it. I was like, I think I've been in this bar with you or something. Like, this is like in my head all of a sudden. Well, may, maybe, man. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Because uh, it was one of those things where I, they sat me down. It was like, we had that. It was one of those things where, okay, bud, we have to have a conversation in an, in like kind of a Switzerland environment, like a, a neutral environment. And, you know, as a kid, you know, I, I knew bars well, you know, I was in a lot of bars as a kid and all those old seedy, dark, nasty red vinyl and dark wood kind of bars, you know? And they're like, okay, this is, and I realized I'm like, oh, this is the kind of place I've been before. But then like they're people, they're calling me in like a, a barkeep is like, come on in, sit, have a seat. Right. And there are people over here talking, you know, just kind of like observing me. But as we're talking, these people, their faces kind of change into this mantis kind of thing. And we're, we keep talking and I'm like, uh, so is this how you actually look? And they're like, well, not really, but this is how you're experiencing it right now kind of thing. And so I'm thinking that was when you and I had a conversation once where there was, there's the, the, my lab kind of abductions. And then there's a spiritual kind of alien thing. Like there's, it's something completely different. And when you said that, that totally made sense in that experience right there, because you felt it. Whereas with other ones, there's not the exchange of spirits. Does that make sense? Yeah. What do you think of that? I think it's uh, definitely true that especially in that space where it's like this spiritual inner sort of space that, um, you know, the way something appears to us is coming specifically through our lens. So uh, not that we can't also see things that are more objective than that, too. So when they're saying like, this is how we look to you. There's a couple reasons, right? Like that could be because you, Gordon, had asked to see a mantis and something came to you and was like, yeah, okay, I'll be that for you right now. Right. And it also could be because they're objectively like that is the mantis people coming through and this is what they look like. Or it could be that there is a energetic role or you know energy that 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 we've attributed to mantis people that you were connecting with as well. Like so, um. Like, and those things seem to be somewhat objective too, like we were saying earlier. So I also uh, had a mantis experience. I didn't call for it. It just happened in meditation. And I was, had been trained actually to fear them before. Cause there's like this whole thing in mm-hmm. UFO culture where the mantises can be bad or something. 
so I had had that like previous experience. Um, but when it came to me, I was just, I just can tell now, just like you can see auras or you can just feel like the vibe, like you just know what is good and what is bad and what is whatever tricky and what you have to be careful with and all of that. So I knew it was a friend and it came and it was like, I'll like clean your, I'll clean your shit up up here. Like your head, you got a lot of weird ideas and stuff. Like if you want, I can like help you get some of that out. I was like, cool, go for it. They literally went through my head, like a filing cabinet and like threw some shit out and like put some new things in. And I could tell it was all these like, ideas and uh concepts and and mental structures that I was done with and had been done with but like didn't just couldn't quite like let go of completely like being afraid of mantis people (laughs) or you know shit like that where like I knew better now but it was just still in there because of habit and like that's what they were taking out and they were like adding in the things that I knew were true too but I just hadn't quite been able to like live it or like integrate it fully yet it was all beautiful and it was all by my choice and then I found out later that that is one of their jobs supposed for the people who don't hate mantis people. <laughs> one of the things mantises do is that like they help you update your mental constructs and release old ones and, you know, rise into new ones or whatever. So I do think there's like this objective mantisness. And even that though, I'm like, well, still as a whole of humanity, we could have created that archetype and put it onto whatever that energy is. Like in its truest form, is it a mantis shape? Maybe not, maybe whatever. So even that level of objectivity is like not as objective as what I'm trying to say. And hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully I said that well. <laughs> I don't know if I did or not. Yeah, no, I I, I kind of understand. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a, was an upgrade kind of thing that happened or or at least a, a another level of understanding um, because I mean, anytime we interact openly with any of that stuff, it's, we're going to, you know, if we're authentic about it, I think we're going to come out with a understanding and not react in fear. Yeah. Well, the authentic piece is like chance was saying earlier too, like you have to be honest with yourself. So, um, you know, when I started interacting with any of these things, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, holy light in the sky, like, la, 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 right? I'm just like, oh, hey, like, what's up? Are you cool? Or like, what? Like, and I, very casual, actually, but also yeah. reverent in that I'm like, wow, thank you, mantis guy. Like, holy shit. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Whatever just happened felt really good. And I just feel like I released so much stuff and I feel so much better now. And like, I still give love and appreciation and honor, but it's not this like pretend let's go through the rites and the rituals and the steps and let's like bow down 65 times or whatever. And I just think they appreciate that. I think they're like, oh God, now we have to like wait for you to bow 50 times or whatever. Like, can we just like get on with it? Or... <laughs> I don't know. I just think they're way more appreciative. They know. They can see through all our shit anyway, right? Like, we're not hiding from anybody out there in the spiritual dimension. Especially if we're talking about beings that are plasma entities that don't have the meat suit in the, the physical density that we carry around. You know, not that I have a problem with the meat suit. The meat suit is awesome. It's it is like it's it high is- technology. Exactly. I think so. I think that it's high technology. It was meant to be like a terminal for accessing the Akashic record through. Yeah. Some thinks it's the highest technology. That the most recent book that I somehow, I think I have it here. That's what they talk about. That the body is like this technology. 
that it is the Akashic Record technology. So you agree with them in that. And that's in this book. <laughs> yeah, I realized that from holy. doing the tunings with people is that, well, if like, how else would this information be coming through? If my body can access ether anywhere non-locally and get information from someone else's body ether, then there would be no limit to what information from the ether or what is also called Akashic Record, the universal ether, my body could tap into. And the only limitation is the language with which I communicate to my body. And the system of tuning that I do is like of literally a specific language that only pertains to talking about energy centers and emotions and, and flow in someone else's body. But if you were able to come up with some other language system of, of a sort that gave you the ability to ask deeper questions of the all and have a way to understand that you were being communicated back with it. I believe that all psychic powers are basically derived from someone knowing how to communicate with their body on some level, even if they don't know that that's how they're doing it. I'm the body you. is pinging the, the universal ether. And that all of them are the mm. same things. Like people who do remote viewing are like really sure that they're not doing like psychic woo-woo shit. And then like psychics aren't doing remote viewing. And then like clairvoyants aren't doing either of those two things. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you're all doing the same thing. So if people yeah. are like, are you a medium? I'm like, well, I mean, I'm not in the classic sense of the word, but like have you know, dead people come to me to give a message to someone like, yeah, that has happened. So they're like, oh, you're a medium. And I'm like, well, no, I mean, <laughs> I, I wish we didn't even have any of these words. I wish we just like understood that all of it is like you're talking about. We're just communicating with the etheric. The end. And whatever yeah, I ways you like people to do don't, it, that's the way you like to do it. <laughs> I, I advise people don't categorize yourself as medium. <laughs> like if, you know, if you get messages from People who are deceased, that's one thing, but don't like make that your box and then go live in it because yeah. it's just a, it's something bigger that you're tapping into and don't limit yourself to just that one version of how it can. You're happen. large. Unboxable. Not just medium. <laughs> Double extra large. <laughs> Hey, uh, my dad has this hilarious joke. He always tells everybody he meets like three times. Sorry, that was a dad joke. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, hey, did you hear about the uh, escaped psychic midget who's been going around and robbing convenience stores with her mind powers? The police are saying that there's a small medium at large. <laughs> my dad tells that joke to everybody. I've told that joke on a vibram before. But oh my gosh, you're gonna slowly. I'm do like that. my dad. Yeah, <laughs> inadvertently, we but you're gonna be like my dad always tells the joke. <laughs> but I'll be like my friend Chance always tells me a joke that his dad always tells him. <laughs> 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 yeah, once he gets a good one, he just sticks with it. <laughs> why? Why fix it? It's not broke. I wanted to say too, um, when Cheney was talking about like, I'm going to need you to believe. Like, I'm going to need you to believe in me, or just believe in general. Yeah. You know, it's so much easier that way. This is true too, and I wonder if you guys have experienced it when you're doing like readings or healings on people. Like some some people just come into it and they're like they're not sure that they trust that something important is going to happen or that this is real or whatever. Or they come in specifically to be like, oh, this person's fucking lying and I'm going to prove it. 
like <laughs> or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it still works. Something still happens. Like I still get messages for them or healing still occurs for them or whatever it is we're doing, but it's so much harder. It's so much less clear and it just doesn't like flow as easily. And I'm like, I, this is not me. This is not my fault. <laughs> like I'm going to need you to believe like a little bit harder than this. Uh, if you want more, if you don't, that's cool. Come in skeptical and get what you can. Uh, but the more you're like invested in it, trusted, it's just like anything else. I think manifestation, I feel like is the same. The more you're like, yeah, that's going to happen. The more likely it's going to happen. Uh, we, we just, we, I, I don't know how to get better at that, but like if anyone what? out there can get better at that, that's a good trick? idea. Yeah. Well, my, my last client said specifically at the beginning, I'm skeptical of this, but I wanted to see, you know, so they're skeptical, but not fully blocked. Right. I mean, why would you pay money if you were like, yeah. this is not going to work, but they did say skeptical. So I, I don't know, maybe you have something like this you do as well, but at the beginning of every session, I specifically state the full intention of what we're about to do and um, make sure that they like affirm their agreement with the intent. And so we, we almost like, I mean, it is, it's like we create a verbal contract right there. This is what we're doing. This is how it's going to work. And, you know, I have like a whole spiel I give. And then at the end, they're like, and I'm like, agreed. And they're like, yes, I agree. And to me, that is key to the whole thing. Yeah, that is very key. Lindsay did a a show called Surrender is a Superpower. That is amazing. And now I know this is, this is true. Um, When you did a blessing on me, you know, we, you, we talked beforehand, you know, we, we were arranged this, you're going to relax and, you know, you talked me through, through this and it, it is amazing, mind blowing that we can do this kind of thing remotely and have like really serious connections that, and that is felt in your, in your body, in your, your whole nature reacts when you do have that kind of um, surrender to it. Mm. Um, And that's, that's when you're allowing, like you always say, you, you know, it's not you doing the healing, it's them doing the healing. And that's what is actually enacting it is that person's uh, surrender for themselves to do it themselves. Correct. To, to allow it in and to let Mm -hmm. it heal themselves. Yes. Which I think is actually key to, most people, if you want to heal yourself, it's the same too, right? Like you have to surrender to uh, whatever you, you conceive of that stuff as etheric, spiritual light, like source, whatever. And you have to let it come in and you maybe even have to tell it where to go. And then like, you know, now you're healing yourself. Um, but people have an easier time often having faith in someone else than they do in themselves. And I totally understand that. I needed how many shamans and healers and teachers and spiritual and da, 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 and synchronicities and all these things along the way before I finally was like, okay, I'll do this for people. Took me like decades, <laughs> right? <laughs> to trust myself to do that. So I understand it, but I totally believed in those people. And that's why they were able to give me what they gave me that eventually led to me being able to then share that with other people. Um, so I'm not saying anyone should feel like bad if they're not just like able to heal themselves or whatever, <laughs> like yeah. that's fine. But you do want to move ever that direction where you are trusting more and more in yourself and inviting that in and surrendering to that and allowing it to be. It is really interesting how much we resist just being loved 
And uh, when people, mm. I mean, a large percentage of the time when I work for with people, no matter what we're doing, they'll just start crying. And then they'll be like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm crying. I'm like, dude, let it go. Let it out. Like, this is the healing. Good. That's <laughs> like, what it looks like. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's because we have been so rarely loved and so rarely allowed ourselves to receive love. And how loving is it to receive a healing or a session or whatever? Like, it's so loving. And when your allies and guides come in and have these messages for you, and they're so loving, and you feel that it's like, yeah, you're gonna cry, especially if you haven't let the love in that frequently or haven't had that much love presented to you in your life. So um, it is, you are healing yourself, but it is the, the love or the source or whatever you call it that is doing it true. Uh, On the surrender thing, part of the agreement that I was describing the verbal contract, as I say, that higher self of me and higher self of the client are actually guiding the whole, are we're asking the higher selves or it's really the same higher self. It's universal ether to guide the whole process. And to take over for the process. Not that I'm giving up my autonomous control of my body vessel or anything like that, but just surrendering into a trust state that whatever I do will be the exact right thing that needed to happen. And however they feel, receive or experience, it will be the exact right way it needs to happen. So like part of the reason for that verbal contract is to surrender into the full trust and eliminate the doubt completely that because the doubt can't exist if the agreement is that there's no wrong way that this can happen. The eye of newt. It has to exist. The mustard seed has to exist. It's like, you have to believe you have to believe in it regardless, whatever it is you're doing, you have to believe in it. Like, I mean, I hope it's a good thing. I hope you're a good person (laughs) doing good things, but whatever you're doing, you really have to believe in it. I think it's key. It's super true. Like belief and love. And I do think a little trick sometimes with myself. I'm like, when I'm with other people, I'm like treehouse with me, bitch. Like <laughs> stop. Like we're, we're 10 years old. We're hiking in the woods. We're climbing a tree mm-hmm. that we built this tree house in. hang out with me for a minute. I need you to just have that brain. I know it's still in there. Mm-hmm. Let's vibe. Like it has to be a different a whole different like come on play time sometimes you have to shake them a little like play time i need you to believe me like this <laughs> like we're gonna go lay in the backyard and we're gonna see a ufo and you're gonna be like holy shit Jamie, i never seen a ufo but i need you to believe me right now <laughs> yes i love that you're like let's go back to preconditioning you <laughs> yeah we all i just have to be like come on it's play time let's go stare at the stars like get out of this, whatever this is for us, this adult life and the, all this conditioning, whatever age you are, you're just that far conditioned. But somewhere before any of the technology, you were playtime, you're playtime McGee. And somewhere in that is your real imagination. And somewhere in that is like the key. Yeah. Playtime McGee is the key. <laughs> Yo, I know Jim's got thoughts in that noodle up there underneath his cool hat. What are they? Yeah. Um, so first off, what what did you call them? Bo- bogies? Mogies? Logies. Logies. Wogies. Wogies. I, okay. I have yeah. seen so many of these things and they are so cool. I When I first had my UFO experience, my very first one, I meditated and I wanted to see a UFO and eventually one came and it was really close. And that blew my mind. For years, I was never the same, still never would be the same. But 
later on in life, because of that experience, I moved out to the country to a place where I could see all the stars. And I used to go out like every night that I could. And I would just stargaze for hours and look at everything and try to like create an opportunity where I would see something. And like a lot of times I like stuff would just show up. Like one time I was out building a chicken coop and it was like 10 or 10 30 at night. And I was, and I was aware of all the stars around me. And there's like this really bright planet is what I thought it was. And it was like right off of my side. And I wasn't, I was just looking at it, you know, looking around. I wasn't really looking at it. It was like kind of half looking at it with the peripheral vision. And all of a sudden it goes and like flies away. I was like, wow, that's, that's so cool. Like, like, I don't know what that is, but like it was special and it was meant for me. And then another time I was, I was outside just like meditating on seeing something and I closed my eyes and I, and I tried to do like the thing I originally had done. It was like a, a deep meditation where I built an Eiffel tower over my head in the thought realm. And I was in the thought realm. Like I created like an overlay map of all of reality as far as I could see in the thought realm. It was all there, like sort of like Tron, you know, like electric outlines of things. And I was sending out the message out of the Eiffel Tower, and all of a sudden, like, blam, this huge explosion. And all the lights, all the lights went dark in the whole the whole street. Like the uh right next to my house, right in front of my house, there was a transformer, and the transformer blew right at that moment. And all the lights across the street and all the way up the street on this side went black. <laughs> and the power was out for like, like a, almost a day. So it was like into the next day. I mean, my house was on the other side of it. So like there, that part was still light. It, it creeped me out. It was like, <laughs> like did, was something sneaking up on me and showing me something? Like most definitely there's power. Like, you know, it's like we feel that this world is so mundane and everything's the same every day. But what are we asking for? Are we asking for something different? Hmm. Like, are we actually asking? Are we saying the words? Are we setting the intention? Or are we just getting up and be like, all right, I got to do this. I got to do this. and I got to do that today. And it's all the same things that I've always been doing. And it's a cycle on repeat. You know, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. That advice holds true. But yeah. What we ask for, we receive. That is a uh, spiritual truth. It's like going into a deep uh, psychedelic trip and trying to talk to entities, but not having anything to say or anything to ask them. <laughs> and they just show up and they're like, okay, why, <laughs> why are we us? here? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, see ya. And then shit goes downhill. <laughs> yeah well I think that's part of it too I used to ask them like why why me You're like why aren't you doing this to other people and you know obviously they were and they said so but they were also like I mean nobody's asking for it nobody wants it actually <laughs> and so they wouldn't understand it they wouldn't like it they wouldn't want it so why would we do it and I was like yeah dude it's that simple isn't it <laughs> I'm not special except in maybe that I like you were just saying Jim would like ask questions I have things to ask. 
like I have a conversation to have. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious. And they're very happy to answer. Very. And always answer, like not necessarily always, is, is it something you will understand? Hmm. And it's hard to say it whether or not, sometimes it feels like a, like it could be a trick to trip you up. But I was, I was mind blowing for sure. That's pretty crazy. I that love it. Awesome. <laughs> wow. See, you gotta, you gotta watch this guy. He'll just like sit here and be <laughs> quiet, but there's amazing shit going on in there. The brain horrors of his. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Well, well I, think like, I get we that. Probably... People are like, Oh, sorry. Well, I, I want you to finish your thought for sure, but I want to maybe go around the horn and, uh, <laughs> give everybody a chance for closing thoughts and move our way towards a wrap up here. <laughs> uh, we'll just get together again, right, right away on the weaving spiders webs channel, but then Jim can drive and I can do art. Yeah. Well, I just, I just wanted to say to that, that people will say, and maybe this has happened to you guys too. Um, but they'll be like, well, it'll be like years later and I'll like say, or do something right. Like, like, like what Jim just shared or whatever. And they'll be like, well, why didn't you tell me? I'm like, what was I supposed to like be like, hi, my name is Lindsay. So one time I built an Eiffel Tower and blew up a transformer. Like, what do you mean? Why did I tell you? Like, you never asked. Um, and so like, yeah, I'm not going to meet you and then just list all the craziest shit that's ever happened to me or like what I do for a living or whatever. I'm just going to be a normal person. Like, I think that's actually normal. But people act like you like tricked them or something. And I'm like, no, I mean, this is what. What like that? And that's actually one of my main points that I always want people to realize and remember, like 100% of people are amazing and beautiful and unique and have crazy fucking experiences and amazing yeah. thoughts and like, and they don't always know how to share them or like that they even have them or that it even is cool or something. But like, that's what life is like, you can be curious about any of that. Everybody has something. It's pretty cool. Not to diminish anything either. But just like, yeah, maybe you should start by assuming that everyone you meet is got fucking cool ass shit going on that would be cooler than assuming everyone you meet is just some normal weird i don't know cyclical npc like that'd be cooler yeah man i thought i always thought that i was like the weirdest guy until i started talking to lady Lindsay Sharman, and then i started listening to that guy uh freeman fly i'm like oh those are those are the my kind people. of weirdos. these are my yeah. people <laughs> totally <laughs> Yeah, I I get used to I get used to it. Weird stuff happening, but I'm because it happens all the time if you're looking out for it. But it's so it's so it's still wonderful, you know. It's still amazing. Mm -hmm. Like last night, I was walking my dogs, and it was pretty late, like two, almost two thirty, and I was walking down the sidewalk, and it was an extra dark night, and it was kind of like weird and creepy feeling, and I kept seeing something dark in front of me like a dark extra dark shadow like i kept thinking it was a like a man like hiding like like they were over by his car and then they they kind of moved like they were hiding behind the car and then i saw it move this way and then it tripped the a light a motion sensor light at this house turned on uh, it it was that is, sounds like shadow people yeah sounds like a gin yeah it that was, is it, creepy you're right that is so creepy yeah. i've seen that in the desert jim and I, I i yeah it's and it was kind of um um it's like a flowy it was it was almost serpentine like in like kind of flowing through the desert in 
around through some choya. And when I recognized it, I, I knew exactly it was not just a critter. You know, you know exactly it's not, it's not a 3D thing. You're seeing it with some other, other kind of thing. You're experiencing it differently than you would uh, a piece of matter, I guess. And like when they explain the, say, smokeless fire, totally makes sense. Or what is it? Is it smokeless fire? Is that what they call it? Yeah. 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 Totally makes sense. It was a weird, it was a weird night. The energy was really weird. And like all the, like on, I did this walk all the time and all the dogs were on edge, like at people's houses, they're all barking. And then I walked past the river on the way home and it was like right by the same area. And the geese all lived down there and the geese were making this really alarming sound. Wow. Like, a really deep, like, murk, 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 like warning each other. And they've never made that sound. Usually they're all totally silent. So it was like, it was an ear. It was pretty eerie. It felt, felt like some, something was around watching or moving around. And I was, I kept thinking, did they, uh, did they loosen the veil with CERN, CERN today? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. it feels like something was around you. Yeah, it feels dark. And it was heavy enough of an energy to trigger the motion sensor light, which is uh, like very odd. Mm. Like it, we have enough of an energy to trigger that. Yeah. Yeah, it freaked me out. What do you do? Weird. What do you pr- do in those moments uh, where something dark is around? Um, I just keep my eyes open. You know, I, I'm not really, I mean, I, I always keep in mind that whatever it is, if it's dark, it's going to feed off of any negative energies or fear or anything. So I'm pretty much like, it can't hurt me. Like, unless I, it's like, it, unless it's like you if agree you to it. A, yeah. If, if you run from a predator creature, then it will chase you. But if you just stand there, like, like it's no big deal. It, it's like, okay, all right, well, I guess you're not prey and it'll move on by. So yeah, like a big cat in the woods, you know, if you run, you're, you're dead. But if you just kind of stand there and like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> this is my fucking woods. Well, you're, yeah. you're in here with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a whole different energy. (laughs) (laughs) You get all cat at it. (laughs) You pounce on it. (laughs) Uh, You kind of do. That works, though. Acknowledge them, you know, you know, acknowledge that I recognize you're a thing. These are my boundaries, you know. Yeah. And other than that, you can fuck off. Yeah, I think no is a very powerful word, even in lower dimensional. Mm-hmm. I think you're allowed to tell spirits no all the time. Oh. And you're so high vibe compared to it that it's like you you almost te- can turn around and be like, you, know? you don't even want to mess with me. <laughs> I like one of my teachers was like, oh, I let him stay. And then I start reading like scripture and, 
you know, whatever. He's Buddhist, though, so it's like Buddhist scripture, but whatever to them and teaching them because they need the light, too. And I'm like, you're such a badass. I'm like, get the fuck out of my house now. And then, and then I'm like, la, 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 sing and dance. Everything's fun. And they're like, oh, this is boring. <laughs> it's not oh a buffet God. if you're happy. Right. <laughs> How come every time we talk to Lindsay, it ends up entities? they're just all asking to come through they're like now tell now tell them about me i have a story to tell too (laughs) i try to tell people this i'm like they want attention too they want to be part of things too they want to like be able to interact and share and love that's their like whole not whole that's a lot of their experience so if you want and you call like they're coming there it is (laughs) (laughs) you shall receive it's yeah. uh we're totally primed and ready to see beyond. Yes. So okay, everybody, give your plugs to all your stuff. Let's start with uh Lindsay, then Gordy, Cheney, Jim. Go around the horn here. Uh you can find everything I do at rogueways.org. That audiobook that we were so excited about for Sign Curve of Aeons is going to be on Audible any moment now. Uh any moment it will be there for you to listen to. We will both be announcing that. And all my books are available on my site. The Oregon that I make is available on my site, rogueways.org. And you can also connect with me for spiritual services of various kinds at rogueways.org. You can grab those medicine bags that Gordon has. And I also just started this new um, teaching platform on rogueways.com slash thinkific. Uh, it is linked to you on the site. If you're on the site, rogueways.org, and you just scroll a little bit down, it's um, one of the big, huge, fat buttons. So if you want to go check out the courses there, you can head over and see the different things I have up. I think I have meditation, um, working with your chakras. It's sort of for, those are for kind of beginners and then tarot for beginners. And I have a psycho-spiritual protection uh, also for people who don't have any psychospiritual protection to speak of. And and so that's for, they're all aimed at people who are pretty fresh uh, and I'll have some higher level stuff coming out as well soon. So thank that's you awesome. so much for having me here tonight. Always love hanging out. Always such a pleasure talking to you, Lindsay. Um, oh, you guys too. Um, I guess my thing is the owls on Instagram, Gordy underscore T W O. It's Gordy with a Y too. G O R D O G. Oh my God. I can't even spell my own fucking <laughs> name. <Spell> quickly. <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. Jordy Tuchus. Underscorps. Daryl Bang. Um, anyway, I posted some owls today on my Instagram. Um, also every Saturday night on Weeding Spiders, um, with, along with Jim. And Cheney many times. Lindsay, you should stay up later to adjust your whole rhythm so that we can have you on spiders. It's like the Saturday one night. night in my head, Fridays and Saturdays, are like the two nights that I'm like, I'm not doing any shows. So I just, that's just the way it is right it's now. Like your weekend. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, I love you all and thank you for the invite. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah. If you ever just want to hang with us on a vibrate, since that's a little closer to your normal sleep schedule, to hit me up. And it's on like a work day too, so. <laughs> yeah, or or a flow state after vibrate. You're always invited there to relax, make some art, listen to some people read. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty chill. It is pretty rad. Every once in a while, I catch I like a few it. minutes of it, but that that's pretty much when you know for sure I'm asleep. 
that whenever that's happening, like, this I'm vibrate like, keeps getting longer and longer. <laughs> <laughs> the summer hours vibrate. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, Chaney, where they find you? Oh, you can go to projectchaney.com and I'll be hanging out uh, with Lindsay uh, next week on Rogueways. And I usually hang out with the spiders as well on Saturday nights after fights, after fist fights. <laughs> And you've been getting pretty regular on the vibrants. I love that. Keep calling in. I like it. I seem to, as summer hours happen in Florida, I seem to get off early this night. So I'm like, okay. I'm so excited that I get to catch the show live. Usually I just watch it on rerun. Awesome. On rerun on syndication. I usually just watch it on VHS. I pick yeah, it up yeah. from Blockbuster on my way home. <laughs> if you have the 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 channel changer thing on the dial, then you can kind of get it in between the UHF and the VHF and you stick a stick a matchbook in there and you get it kind of at the right area. You can Gordy, give me your tinfoil hat. I need it for the yes, antenna. Exactly. <laughs> well my main announcement is that you've all been waiting for it. It's coming tomorrow night. Gordy, Gabriel, myself, we're gonna do the next Moon Knight decode episode four. It's going to be crazy. And it's, yeah, it's, we're looking into the void and the <laughs> void is looking back. <laughs> well said. Yeah, you should, If we'll probably have to bring some of our private thoughts that we've been having about just the whole thing in general to that conversation. But watch out for that tomorrow night. Same, same time, 8 p.m. Central, and we will catch you all later. Jim, thanks for calling in as well. Yeah, Go thanks find for having Jim me. On Weaving Spiders Webs, right? Weaving Spiders Webs. And uh, also the uh, Spiders Welcome Webs on Telegram. Is that what it's called? Spiders Welcome yes. Web. Yeah. Oh, you know, if you get into one of the shows and you're in the live chat, somebody will link you if you want to join our Telegrams. But that's where we are all staying in touch on a daily basis. It's a good place to be. If you're not on Telegram yet, don't avoid it just because you hate social media and everything it stands for. Telegram doesn't really have that vibe and uh, we actually connect, you know, it's really rad, but okay, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Watch out for our announcement that Lindsay's book is up as an audio book. I hope a lot of you check it out and enjoy it. I certainly worked hard on it. Not nearly as hard as it would have been to actually write the thing, but <laughs> love that but we still, got the collab and we'll so do it again. Labor it's awesome. Club. It's awesome. I got to listen to it. The parts that you played. It's cool. Very yeah, cool. Thanks. All right, everybody. Much love. Love you all. Thank you. Love you Good guys. Good night.